Three, two, one, open a beer. And we're live. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Drink to the Past. Oh, shit. The I only, spilled all over myself. The only, uh, pa the only podcast on the internet where Chris spills all over himself. Oh, it's good beer, too. Oh, you bastard. How dare you? How dare you, Chris? I drink it all up, but it's kind of spread all over. It's no good. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't remember the link to my YouTube. Are you Are you tweeting that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm tweeting out. Okay, I'll retweet you so people sees. There. There we go. There's some other guy on here called Shatter Spike, and I don't know who he is. Yeah, alright. And as soon as you tweet that, I can retweet it. And there it is. Yep. Heart retwat. It has officially been retwat. You're, you're, you're a retwat. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're not a retwat. <laughs> I'm not. Just a regular. <laughs> Just a regular twat. <laughs> uh, I'm already a mess. <laughs> I'll retweet myself too. Haha. There. Now we're extra live. We're live on Twitter and Twitter, except for actually just YouTube. Anywho, shall we get into the podcast now? So uh, sort of more or less, we had the we had our uh, uh, opening our beer, which is the sound of that is is more beautiful than any other sound in the universe. So we've decided to make it our theme song. Uh, so now into the actual first part of the podcast which is the uh th this might be the end of me i'm not sure this is probably the second stupidest thing i've ever drunk on the podcast i have a cocktail here which so so this is uh so all week long uh remember last week i talked about burns night a little bit uh, and one of the traditions at Burns Night is to eat haggis, as that was uh, something of uh, Rabbi Burns's uh, uh, maybe not favorites, but he, he wrote about it because he it, a lot of the inspiration for his poetry was just common life stuff. Uh, and so one of the things that common folk ate back in Rabbi's time was haggis. So it's traditional at Burns Night to eat haggis, and I happen to have haggis still left over because uh, every year my dad makes a bunch of haggis, and it doesn't all get used, so I end up coming home with a buttload of haggis, which is okay by me because I like haggis. But I thought, oh man, how could I make a haggis cocktail? And I put this up on the internet, which oh my God. Was, a, was a terrible idea. So I, I see we have uh, Seamus in the... Uh, in the comments here uh so he says i gotta see this because he knows what's coming because he's the guy that tweeted at me that said i should uh i i was i i, I tweeted something relatively innocuous like what should i do with this haggis for drink to the past and he he suggested um that i marinate it in red bull <laughs> and uh, add whiskey so well, this it was... is haggis 
Red Bull and whiskey is my cocktail of the week. Welcome to Sean Drinks Something Stupid. It's called that for a fucking reason. If I die, it's your fault, Seamus. It's nice knowing you while you were still alive. Still smells all haggisy. The haggis smell has completely overtaken the Red Bull. And most of the scotch. Or, I didn't put scotch in it. What, what kind of, I don't remember what kind of whiskey I have. George Dickel. I don't know what kind of whiskey that is. It's like bourbon-ish. Anyways. Uh, so down the hatch. Mm. Well, I hope you don't die, because it'll be difficult to do the podcast by myself. This is not as awful as I thought it would be, but I would not recommend it. Uh, mostly it tastes kind of like Red Bull with... Like extra greasy Red Bull. I'm not a big extra fan greasy of Red Bull. Red Bull. <laughs> yes, extra it, greasy Red you, Bull. Well, you've made it worse, but does that make it substantially worse? Hmm. It does have a little bit of that haggisy flavor, um, which isn't bad actually, because my dad actually makes pretty good haggis. Um, gets a lot of weird shit in there. Uh, this year he said he got some cow tongue and put it in there. So that's that's kind of interesting. That's... This is something, all right. <laughs> wow. So, just in case uh, you have not taken me seriously in all the times that I've said on Twitter or wherever that if you tweet a drink at me or if you leave a comment here on YouTube and tell me to drink something... Like, this is proof that no matter how fucking stupid it is, I will drink it. <laughs> we love having stupid drinks on here. That's why I made a segment out of it. Sean drinks something stupid. It's here every week, so come along. Sometimes it's a boring regular cocktail, but you can spice it up by suggesting something even dumber. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, that's... That is weird. Not even really sure what to make of it. It's like meaty Red Bull. Uh, well, I'm gotta, it sounds terrible. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's not as terrible as it sounds, but I'm not sure I would call it good. Hmm. Certainly not as good as my haggis pizza that I made last night. Yeah, like, that's at least, uh, food. <laughs> Apparently my facial expression is comical. Thank you, O commenter. All right, uh, shall we get into the uh, what you playing? So what have you been playing, Chris? You're streaming a game here. What's this all about? Uh, well, this is One Step from Eden. It's a game I've had in the Steam library for a while, but I've only now gotten around to playing it. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. It's still far too early for me to do anything other than give my first impressions. Right. I kind of have that problem with a game that I've been playing this week, and by this week I mean yesterday, because it came out yesterday, and that is The Medium, which I was super excited about, but uh, did not really get a chance to sink my teeth into, because uh, it's, you know, it's rated M, and I'm always, like, leery of M-rated games around my children, because my children are not an M-rated audience. So I was like, all right, I'll wait till they're in bed, no problem. And then my four-year-old just kept getting out of bed and needing a drink of water. Or, I want a hug, or, you know, what? 
four-year-olds come up with the most ridiculous reasons to get out of bed repeatedly. And it was, it was not a particularly fun time and he was not in bed in any amount of timeliness. So I did not get to play very much of this. And by that, by the time I actually did get to play, I had been up for far too long and the, the gameplay is not like boring, but it's slow enough that if you're tired and trying to play this, it is very easy to doze off, so I did not have a great time playing it, but that's no fault of the game itself. I just, like, feel like I need an actual time, you know, chunk of time to sit down and, and play this game. Uh, so, very early impressions are that this is a cool game uh, as a showcase for the Xbox because I'm running it on the new Xbox, obviously. It's actually Xbox Series X slash Series S exclusive, uh, and it's the first actual exclusive that I've played on the console, because mostly what I've been playing is technically Xbox One versions of games that also run on this, uh, and occasionally I've played, like, Master Chief Collection, I think, is the only game I've really played that's really enhanced for Series S. Um... So it's, this one is like, uh, I feel like the resolution is significantly better than most things I've played even on the system because it's actually made with, you know, this system in mind. And, uh, what really kind of steps that up is, uh, the lighting engine is, uh, super realistic, which is probably that ray tracing at work or some such, cause that's the feature that they keep plugging. Um, so I think it will be really cool to see this going forward. Um, in some areas, the animation, I feel like you can kind of tell that it was done by a relatively small team, uh, but it's not, like, bad by any means. Um, so, interesting yeah, plot just... so far. I'm, I'm digging it, so I'm excited to get back into that, but that's literally all I can say about it. So, uh, You played anything else this week, Chris? Uh, I've been back in Denoida, which is always a mm -hmm. fun thing. Yeah. Hey, Chips and Sticks is here in the comments. What's up, Chips? Uh, he was on our podcast, one of those episodes. Uh, we should get Chips on again one of these days. Um, yeah. Chips, come on the podcast one of these days. Mm. I got, just got a chunk of haggis right in the... <laughs> it's weird when you get a chunk. <laughs> Most cocktails do not have chunks of haggis to <laughs> accidentally hit you in the back of the throat like that. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I've always kind of been disgusted by the concept of haggis. Uh, well, it's very practical. I, 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 and I understand that it's like, it's not as disgusting to eat as it sounds, but... Mm -hmm. You don't like heart, liver, and kidneys and shit? I'm uh, not, not too big of a fan. <laughs> Boiled inside of a stomach? That's a against the FDA's regulations, so unfortunately you can't do that. Hey, we've got four concurrent viewers, which I think is up to our biggest uh, live stream yet, uh, tied with the last time we had four concurrent viewers, so welcome everybody. Um, yeah, Chip says he'll come on another time when he comes and gets another vacation day, so that'll be cool. Yeah, um, anytime you're free on a Friday night, Chips, love to have you back. Um, other than that, I've been playing... 
actually quite a few games this week. Um, I got back into a link to the past over the last couple of days, just randomly was like, Hey, I started a playthrough on my super Nintendo classic. So I'll try that again. And I've beat a two dungeons. I think I beat. Yeah. Um, thieves town. And the one before that skull woods, um, so going back through those, uh, those are two of my favorite dungeons in Link to the Past anyways. They're just super cool, um, like thematically, because Skull Woods especially is like, I love that you're going inside and outside of the dungeon and both of these kind of, like part of the overworld is part of the dungeon because you have to figure out which parts of the overworld connect to the other parts of the dungeon and stuff. Uh, so I think it's just a really fun design. Um, and the other one... What else did I say? Uh, Thieves Town is kind of cool because it's got that part where you're like uh, searching for the maiden because you heard a rumor that there's a maiden in the, you know, trapped in there. And then you find her and you're like, oh, OK, sweet. And she says, oh, take me outside. But uh, you end up having to take her to another room and turn it. It turns out she's the boss in disguise. And you're like, oh, my God, it's like such a like clever thing for a Super Nintendo game. I, I feel like I yeah. keep seeing just a ton of things that surprise me that this is a Super Nintendo game. Um, uh, Seamus in the comments is also playing Link to the Past on the fourth dungeon in the Dark World. So I believe I believe the fourth dungeon is uh, right before where I was. I'm trying to remember which what order they go in. Uh, but yeah, so I'll drink to, drink to, or to Link to the Past. <laughs> Link to the Past, Drink to the Past. It's like we, we've heard of that game or something. Or something. Yeah, the thing that always bugged me about that dungeon was that you could actually leave out the entrance and uh, the boss would just vanish. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so it's well, kind of weird. It's like, I led you outside, you stupid bitch. Why'd you go back to the jail? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, let's see. Um, played a little bit of Halo 5 uh, with my brother online uh, through my... Uh, the streaming app, which is actually kind of cool because with the Xbox streaming app, I was actually surprised that I could keep up with him on Xbox and like every now and then I'd hit a lag spike and overall it's like the stream quality has just enough input lag to be like, if you're paying attention to it, you'll notice it. And in a, you know, high velocity shooter kind of a scenario like Halo, you'll, you'll notice it every now and then just when you're trying to line up a shot and stuff like that. But it was, it was still like playable for a good, you know, two or three hours that I played with my brother. So I was like, I'm actually really, really impressed with the stream quality. Uh, even since the Xbox streaming app, uh, has come on so yeah um that's pretty cool and cyber shadow came out this week have you played that chris that seems like it might be up your alley cyber shadow i have not played that what is that uh um it's sort of a retro style game uh in the vein of like ninja gaiden uh so it's uh a lot of people compare it to the messenger which uh you played that one that is one I still have on the list to, of games to play. Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought you Which, played that one, but uh, yeah, that's okay. We, I remember us talking about that because that's same company has made a... Uh, yeah, Sabotage Studio that is uh, both of us kickstarted their second game project, which is due out sometime sea of stars. next year. Sea of Stars. That looks really sweet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah um, 
yeah, the Cyber Shadow is uh, kind of a cyberpunk take on this idea, though. And it's really cool just going through this, like, kind of cyberpunk world and all that with the... Uh, th just the aesthetic is really cool. Uh, so far, I'm, like, the story seems pretty basic. It's like some bad guy is, like, trying to kill your clan or something. And I'm like, why is there a clan of ninjas in cyberpunk? I don't really care. But, it, you know. <laughs> but the gameplay is really reminiscent of old of the original Ninja Gaidens, which I played a ton of the old Ninja Gaiden games. I had the original one, and then there was a collection of 1, 2, and 3 that released on Super Nintendo later that I played a little bit of. Um... But I played a bunch of the original one and uh, never managed to beat that because that game was hard as balls. So this one, this game kind of puts in checkpoints every now and then, so it's not as unforgiving as the original uh, Ninja Gaiden, which I, I feel like that's just kind of a, a modern modern kind of uh, convenience. Yeah, it's it that's that's how modern games work. They put in checkpoints every now and then, so you're not totally fucked. Uh, but, yeah. uh, like, if it weren't for the checkpoints, though, I feel like this game would be at least as hard as Ninja Gaiden. Uh, particularly, there's some areas where, even with the checkpoints, I'm having to try, you know, ten times or more. Uh, and some of that, I feel like, is just, you know, some of the enemies are annoyingly designed, and you have a very small hitbox with your sword. Although, I'm, I've watched a couple of reviews, so it looks like as you go through, you get more and more techniques. I've got, like, barely any upgrades myself. I'm not very far in. Uh, so, it seems like that might be a little bit counterbalanced by new upgrade techniques and stuff later. But then I'm like, well, what other enemies are they going to put in to make it harder later as well? I wonder how that's going to go. But so far, it hasn't been, like, insurmountable or anything. But it's, it's been a, a fun challenge. Um, and last but not least, I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima, uh, which I was talking about the last couple of weeks, I think. And the more I play this game, the more I really fucking love it. Just exploring the world is... It, it just looks so good. Um, I am just awestruck by the vistas like even almost more so than breath of the wild uh just by like coming to the top of a hill and looking over there's a you know uh forest and, and mountains and boats off in the distance of the mongolians attacking and, and stuff like that it's uh really cool uh and the story is also really kind of just epic in so many ways uh even to the extent that like side quests are super interesting um uh Seamus brings up trying to find Koroks in the comments here um so there's there's not Koroks in uh Ghost of Tsushima however the first time I found a flower I totally did was I was like oh there's a Korok under there <laughs> I walked up to it and then it turns out that flowers are a collectible so I'm like, okay, that kind of that's kind of cool. And you like the more flowers you get, you can turn them in and get like dyes for your um, suits and stuff. So you, it basically makes it so you can like customize your gear with aesthetics and stuff. Um, but it's so it's it's kind of a neat collectible, and it really has a very similar feeling to collecting Koroks because it's like just all over the world. You're just like, oh, there's one. I'll go. I'll go grab it. You know um wherever you're roaming so has a very similar feel to that uh 
Uh, but like I was saying with the side quests, the stories in side quests are like way beyond what normal side quest stories are, where it's like, hi, I'm John the farmer and I'm out of wheat. Can you go get a wheat seed from farmer Rick? And it's like, why do I give a shit? But the side quests in this are all like, hey, I heard a rumor that uh, this ancient samurai ghost is haunting this forest. And you're just like, ooh, well, that's actually fucking neat. I'm going to go check that shit out. <laughs> so, so, they, so the side quests actually make you care about things. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, each one does a little bit of world building and stuff like that. So I think that's something that's very missing in a lot of open world games. So I am just having a ball with this game. Uh, have you been playing anything else, or shall we move into the news and booze? Uh, other than this and uh, an awful lot of Noida, uh, I haven't been playing too much in the way of... Uh, and, and PUBG. I haven't been playing too much in the way of uh, other video games. I've been mm. kind of... I, I feel like I could broaden my horizons, which is what this is supposed to be the start of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, um, so let's get into the news and news. Um, Netflix announces a new anime in production based off Tomb Raider, particularly the new reboot series. So, uh, what do you think of that? Are you going to watch a Tomb Raider anime produced by Netflix? Uh, well, if it comes highly recommended, but I've never, uh, I'm not that much of a Tomb Raider fan. Yeah, I've never played a Tomb Raider game. I like the... Angelina Jolie movies pretty well. They were fine. There's a side boob in one of them, and when I was 13, Angelina Jolie's side boob was like, oh my god. Worthwhile. There's a side boob. Yeah. <laughs> when, so, you, when, you were when you were 13, and the idea of the concept of boob was still fresh. Yeah, it was like, dude, there's, there's a boob. And you can see like 30% of it. Oh my god. Look at my boner. Don't really look at my boner. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, um, so I'm kind of hopeful for this. I really, really like the Castlevania series, so I think this could be kind of cool. Um, I've been meaning to get into the Tomb Raider games, but just, like, too much to play, and I'm like, I never get around to it. I'm always, like, when I'm always looking for a sale or something, I'm like, oh, Tomb Raider's on sale. Maybe I'll get that, and then I find something else that I buy instead. Um, so... That is what that is. So um, so here's a, a piece of news and booze that I actually skipped last week was that Xbox Live announced a price increase. Um, and I didn't look into this. I thought, uh, whatever, they're increasing their prices. Not really news, right? But it turns out that actually they doubled their prices was their plan that they announced that it was going to be like starting next month, Xbox Live Gold memberships are going to be double the price. So, uh, instead of like a $60 yearly membership, you could have a $60 six month membership. Uh, and the other tiers were, were suited the same, you know, but like double the price. And that's just for Xbox live gold, which is really super odd because it made Xbox live gold actually more expensive than a game pass subscription, which comes with Xbox live gold. Huh. So this was like a really weird thing. It's like, why would anybody pay for this to pay more to play online and not get the Game Pass service along with it? 
and a, a lot of fans flipped their shit and Xbox took it back like the next day. So <laughs> they were just like, never mind, guys, we're not going to do this. The price is staying the same. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it go up sometime soon, but probably not that much. I'm like, this is so weird, though, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> It's a very strange decision. It seems like. Do you think they? Uh, you think the service became more expensive than they were expecting? Maybe. Um, I don't know, because a lot of people were like speculating that maybe it was just trying to push Game Pass and be like, "Hey, Game Pass is the better deal," because you also get games with it. Which makes sense, kind of, but at the same time, it's like, why would you make it more expensive to not get games with it? That's weird, right? Yeah. So. That's. <laughs> just a big what the fuck from Xbox. Um, huh. However, uh, Xbox console sales, our next piece of news and booze, is still reported by Microsoft, uh, are up 86% since the launch of the Series S and X in November. The company touts a $15.5 billion profit for the quarter, and the Xbox One apparently sold more units during its first three months on the market. However, Microsoft notes that they are limited largely by the manufacturing not meeting demand. Uh, so... That's that's kind of a weird statement, I, th I feel like, because uh, theoretically that means they made more uh, Xbox One units at launch than they are making Series S and X units at launch. And those met demand, maybe? I don't know. It's, it, it's really oddly worded, and I'm just like... Well, if the only reason that you're not selling as many is because you didn't produce as many, why didn't you just produce as many? Then then you would still theoretically probably be selling out of them. I don't know. I'm not a businessman, but it, it just, like, from the outside looking in, it just seems kind of strange to me. Is it possible COVID had something to do with the limited manufacturing? Possible. Um, they didn't note it specifically in the couple of tweets that I read. I Like, I heard about this story somewhere else, and now I'm thinking of where it was. And so I looked at, uh, I, I think this was, was Microsoft the one tweeting this? Now, now I feel like shitty, because I can't cite my source. Hey, Kevin's in the, how did Kevin get in here? Uh, well, he's part of the Discord. He is, but I didn't expect it. And he's, now, he's not our, he's not our usual, uh, uh, interrupting guest. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Kevin's so, on Trick to the Past. Is. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, guys. I, I stumbled my way onto the drunkest podcast on the internet again. Hell yeah, you did. All right. And it feels I'm good gonna... to interrupt. Yeah, I am going so, to... So, cheers, gang. Yeah, I'm going to have to real quick uh, change some of the interface here on the... Sorry about screen. that. Oh, that's no problem. Uh, just I'm going to interrupt with an interrupting story, that if I may. I don't know what's going on, but I'm excited. I feel right. like we're not in control, and we just have to let this happen. Just accept so, it, Chris. Lay back and accept it. So we have a thing with uh, Ashley and I, Skip, who sends her regards. She's uh, gone to bed now, but she sends her regards. 
wants to come on the show again, of course. Maybe we'll interrupt at some point. Yeah, definitely. Maybe she'll interrupt halfway through. Right. Uh, just like me. But we have a thing that we call Interrupting Pitbull, where there are songs that sound like a pop song that you would hear on the internet that sounds like Pitbull could show up at any point. So we'll have our own part where it's like, you know, Pitbull shows up and I'll start doing like a very terrible Pitbull impression that I'll save everyone's ears on for this. But <laughs> anyway, hi. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I'm when... drinking, uh, drinking a main special here. Awesome. Courtesy of uh, Sebago Brewing Company. Is that say Hayes Forward. All right. Hayes Forward IPA. Yummy. All right. I still have They're really good. That's a, it's a good beer. I'm, I'm still drinking my uh, ridiculous cocktail. <laughs> so What's uh, in it? Um, Red Bull and... Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's not a good place <laughs> to start, is it? So it's, it's Red Bull it's Marinated Haggis. And, well, marinated haggis? Yeah, I, 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 I marinated oh, the haggis cool. in Red Bull. And then added okay. whiskey. Ooh, nice. So it this That's is one of the weirdest fucking cocktails I've ever had, but it's like it's not as terrible as I thought it would be. It sounds interesting, and now it's gone. Yep. All right. <laughs> That's enough meaty goodness for me. <laughs> yeah, because I had leftover haggis all week, so I, I threw it to the fans to be like, "Hey, give me a stupid cocktail idea," and and they oh, did not boy. disappoint. <laughs> I've so. seen uh, your cooking online, and uh, you were quite quite the chef. Yeah, thank I, you. I'd eat the plates that you're serving. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've been... Uh, I feel like in the last like year or so, I feel like I've been up in my cooking game a little bit. I guess maybe the last like six months, particularly since I got the Legends Cookbook, which is like a fan-made yeah. uh, Zelda-inspired recipe book, has all sorts of good stuff in there. Um, and I've just been like getting a little bit more creative in the kitchen lately. So that's been, it's been kind of fun. It's fun. It's rewarding. I have an instant pot mm -hmm. I have an instant pot cookbook and I follow a few recipes online and it's, it's fun. It's easy. Um, it's, it's quick too. Yeah. You can um, cook like, you know, an instant pot and I've used it a couple of times. It's, it's cool, but it, it honestly, I'm still a little scared about it mm -hmm. because you plop stuff in there and you're like, all right, time to set the bomb off. And then mm -hmm. like 20 minutes later, you don't know if it's going to explode and you have like a chicken in your face or right. you just vent it like I've done every time and mm. everything's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised because I made pulled pork from frozen pork in like an hour. Oh, and I was like, that sounds good. And it was like, not bad. I was like, yeah, this is surprisingly good considering it took like an hour and, you know, I mean, I make my own homemade barbecue sauce, which actually I've been putting on the haggis, too, which is surprisingly good, haggis and barbecue oh, sauce. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, I was at a festival a couple of years ago, and there was one of the food trucks there that had haggis and eggs as their breakfast special and smothered in barbecue sauce. And I was like, I never would have thought of that. That's fucking awesome. So huh. yeah. uh, I'll get into my beer of the week is from Westfax Brewing Company right down the street from me. So this is a oh. scotch ale to go uh, with the... Uh, Hard to see there, but this is called the Tears of Our Enemies. Uh, so this is a cool, interesting, cool Scotch ale. The Lannister crest there. Yeah. Um, lions. I forget the term for it. My family crest is two lions on passant, where they're like prowling, 
not necessarily like uh, on their hind hindquarters. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. Um, you want to stick around for some more news and booze? Let's of course I do. It. All right. Uh, Let's so do it. Dave Malloy, the cinematic, cinematic creative director. Say that five times fast. I have to drink because I stumbled over my words. Mm, that's a decent scotch ale, though. Um, so he's the creative cinematic director for Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, updated his LinkedIn page to include that he is currently working on the Ghost of Tsushima game for PlayStation 5. So this has sparked rumors that there's a PS5 exclusive Ghost of Tsushima sequel in the works. And I'm not sure if that really I don't I don't feel like that makes a ton of sense immediately. Like it could be. Like Ghost of Tsushima obviously did really well last year. I wouldn't be surprised if a sequel's in the works, but I feel like uh the way it's worded doesn't specifically imply a sequel. And with yeah. how they've been kind of bringing everything forward, I feel like it's more likely that they might have an enhanced version coming for PlayStation 5 or um, perhaps just I'll, like uh, a patch for the current version if you are playing on PS5 to just kind of, you know, make it even better. Uh, so that's kind of my takeaway from this. But it, it could be a sequel, and hey, I, I'll, I'll buy a fucking sequel. Actually, I'm, I'm liking this game so much. I'm like uh five or six hours in and i'm like if a sequel came out right now i'd probably buy a ps5 for it if you could if you could find one right yeah that's part of the problem <laughs> uh what do you guys make of this um i feel like the uh we're in an interesting like i don't want to call it like passing of the torch kind of moment but we're stepping out of like the previous generation of consoles mm -hmm. so we're in that flux where it's like a lot of companies are doing like a lot of different things where like one company could be like giving you this game for free but enhanced yeah um other companies are trying to like squeeze a little bit of extra money out whereas like others are trying to um like create new ports or start working on products to kind of like you know, apply a game that they've already had, but add it to like the PlayStation or Xbox, um, like current systems. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get uh, folks like CD Project Red who are trying to dip into every console they can and just not working out. Um, I see this um, maybe being more of like an enhanced port. Mm -hmm. Possibly with some, like, additional DLC areas, bosses. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's perfectly okay. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. Um, like, uh, it, it would certainly give, like, a, you know, just be another cool thing to uh, check out PS5 for, which right now I feel like they're a yeah. little bit short on. Um, but Do you get the Castlevania Legacy Collection for five bucks? PS4 or PS5. That's pretty badass. Yeah. I oh, just yeah. bought that on Steam. 15 bucks. Nice. We got Mr. Link, Miss um, Skip's uh, three-year-old, mm -hmm. playing the Dracula game. Nice. Can I play the Dracula game? <laughs> we got him playing Castlevania 1. It was great. Awesome. Yeah. He's pretty good at it, too. I don't know how my kids would do with Castlevania. I don't know. Because I've never been like a huge Castlevania fan. 
Um, like they're, they're fun. I've played a couple, but I've just never got into it for just whatever reason. I don't know. I never really had them as a kid. So it's like, maybe it's partially just like revisiting them at this point in time is just a little bit like, you know, I, I don't have time to deal with the bullshit of old games. You know, I'm just, yeah, the nostalgia um, isn't there. So it's like, why bother? Yeah. Right. Um, so, but I really dig the Castlevania animes. Like I was saying earlier when we were talking about one of our, other things oh boy uh, yeah the, uh, tomb raider yeah because now they're making a uh netflix is making a tomb raider show um so now is it is it the show that's tying both eras of tomb raider together or is that a game i um, heard something about that i don't know uh the what i read like the modern from... like you know survival tomb raider versus the uh the part where you raided tombs in the earlier mm. games yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, from what I read, it seems like this anime is based more off of the modern Tomb Raider, the the reboot okay. kind of games. Okay, is what it sounded like. Uh, but I'm not sure. I haven't really played any Tomb Raider games, so it's it's another one of those series that I've just been like, I want to play one of these, yeah. and then I never get around to it. Yeah, I think I own like five Tomb Raider games, and I've never played them. The closest I've gotten, like my closest exposure to Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. was playing like a few not even playing watching a few seconds of a friend play the tomb raider the tomb raider arcade game mm. it at uh, dave and buster's nice and uh you're like fighting off wolves and like mm. you're on rail it's like an on rail shooter it's a okay. little like time crisis okay uh with I a shitload of time I, crisis back at the old movie theater that uh i never had time crisis yeah yeah, Time yeah, Crisis was awesome. I used to play a bunch of that dead. with my brothers. Like that was our jam, and um, Cruising Exotica was wacky ass racing game. Mm. So those are kind of the two games we played mostly. Cruising was there too. Yeah, you our, always our gotta love the, uh, the light gun shooters. Yeah, yeah. There's some about them. Like I want that in my home. Mm -hmm. Like I want a Time Crisis. Like I want Time Crisis right here. Right. Or House of the Dead, which uh, the the Wii version is is pretty fun. Mm -hmm. um, I think you get two and three on one pack, or you might get all three. Those games are delightfully cheesy. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to our next piece of news and booze here. Roger Craig Smith announced on Twitter he will no longer be voicing Sonic the Hedgehog moving forward. He has voiced every video game appearance of the character. <sighs> For the past 10 years, and I believe he was also the voice he cameoed in both Wreck-It Ralph movies. Yes. Yeah, he did both Wreck-It Ralphs. I was pretty upset about this. Um, I wonder if we're going to get um, Ben Schwartz going forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that was just for the movie. Yeah, I liked him um, fine in the movie. Um, so we I only that. just saw it recently. Oh yeah, I, I, I saw. It I got like, it for one of the boys for Christmas, and we all we all sat and watched it. He was so excited; nice. he wanted to watch it again, like the next day. Uh huh. Um, but it was it was a good movie. I enjoyed yeah. the heck out of it. it. Was the last movie I um, saw in theaters? I I uh, before the Valentine's pandemic, day. yeah, because uh, it came out like right before, pretty much. So that was yeah, yeah, the last of last year or so. Theaters. It's, for it's a been time. a year since Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie. Yeah. Crazy, that right? kind of fucking blows my mind, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. But yeah, it's it's saddening to hear that he's not um, doing the voice. And now I have to ask, because I'm not savvy on it. Sonic Boom. 
I know that um oh, I'm gonna forget his name. Uh, he's married to Laura Bailey and he is the voice actor of Knuckles and he plays Grog. Travis Willingham. Travis, I'm sorry if you're watching this, I apologize, Travis. I know you tune in every week. Forgot your name. Right. Um he did the voice of Knuckles. Who did the voice of Sonic in um Sonic Boom? I'm not sure. It's been a few it the same? different people over the years. Uh when I imagine Sonic Sonic's voice in my head, I still think of the nineties cartoon with uh what's with Jaleel name? White? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, the one that was on Disney. No, well, I, I think it's Jaleel White, like Urkel. It was on like. Did I do yeah, that's kind of what he sounded Did like. Did I run fast? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I I can't imagine either of those characters saying that. Unfortunately. <laughs> I like Jaleel White. <laughs> Family matters. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not savvy on uh, Sonic Boom. Also, I think the the most I've seen is is um, the boys like uh, Sonic X. Yeah. So we've watched some Sonic X. Yeah, um, I watched. Uh, I, I, I watched, really watched a lot that of that. Like that was kind of in a generation where I watched a lot of cartoons, like in the beginning of high school, I think, when I was, and I was just like, I remember I liked Sonic X okay for the first season, uh, where it pretty much just followed. The story of Sonic Adventure. Like Adventure, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like literally the same story as Sonic Adventure. And then later, it kind of took a lot of weird turns and, uh, like, because they ran out of Sonic. It ran longer, yeah, it ran longer yeah, than Adventure. It, it, it uh, I think they went in some weird directions after that, and and some of it felt like weird filler, like, oh, they're they they have to yeah. play a baseball game against Doctor Robotnik. What? There's so much baseball in Sonic. <laughs> right? It's another thing that Sonic has in common with uh, Dragon Ball. Play Playing baseball? baseball, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, Piccolo in the uniform. <laughs> That's classic. I must have missed that one. I haven't watched Dragon Ball anything in a long time. I the only that, I do remember filler. like Gohan when he went to high school for like two episodes. He like jumped 90 feet in the air to catch a ball or something. And then he was like, yeah. oh, I guess maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, you should, like, tone it down. Yeah, like, calm down, Gohan. <laughs> You're a Saiyan playing baseball. It's not fair, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was the episode of Dragon Ball Super where they actually called in Yamcha because he's the only one who knows how to play baseball. <laughs> yes, that's right. Super or GT? Super. Super? The, the real one. Yeah, now I'm trying to remember that. Mm. I don't know. I didn't get very far I in know. Super. I, I, I got like I several. Super. I watched several episodes when it was airing on Toonami, but I, uh, I don't know. I just didn't get into it. I was like past the point in my life where Dragon Ball was really hype, I guess. And it was just, it it was weird and slow, I and I just really didn't like Beerus. I was just like, he's just another it's jank. Look at me! I'm more powerful than anybody you've ever seen for no fucking reason. Dragon Ball villain, I felt like. Yeah, but that's the whole show. It is. Like, that's and they, and they like they fall into that and like and I, yeah, I guess they poke fun at it too. Problem. Like that, you gotta like suspend. It's like watching wrestling. You have to suspend your disbelief, right? And be like, oh great, they got the Undertaker here. Like, and, what's he gonna do? That was a lava potion. Yeah. 
I guess at the same time, though, I was into One Piece, and One Piece is kind of guilty of the same thing. But at the oh, same boy. time, One, One Piece, Piece I can't get into. One Piece also like references back to earlier points in the series. Once you get to a certain point, it's like, oh yeah, that happened and that happened, and it's like this surprisingly in-depth, interconnected story. But you really sure. have to watch. 500 episodes to to start yeah. getting that so yeah, i can see how do. that would be a turnoff because you don't really get that payoff until you're like in the 300 episode mark and then you kind of start getting an inkling of it and now i'm like yeah. a little over 500 episodes now and i'm like now i'm getting that a lot like all the time it's like oh yeah you're referencing back to that villain and and he did this stuff and and oh he's related to him and he met that whale and it's just like all these sort of weird he met things. that whale yeah you you had to and you had to be along had to for be the there. whole ride to understand you can't just jump in 500 episodes in you'll have no idea what the fuck's going on yeah so it's i could see i think super you could get in there and be like you could be fine if you just hop into super and it was like your first dragon ball and you were like all right i'll crack a few beers and watch the show for a new dragon ball fan i can see how it might might be pretty good but like i watched joker's endearing yeah i watched all kinds of it's like a dog watching a few squirrels there are things i like about super better than i ever liked about uh dbz Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like the pacing is a lot better. It's I. It's weird because, and this might just be me because I watched. I've watched you know all of Dragon Ball from from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. But if you've watched the movies and then watched the show, the show kind of takes the movies and like branches them out across like ten or so episodes. And they change a few things. And I don't know if I was the biggest fan of that because I had seen the movies and then watched the show like pretty soon after. And I was like, wait, I- I'm confused. Like what happened? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know what's better. Watch the, watch the movies and then skip into that part in the show or just watch the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, who do you think is going to be the next voice actor for him? I don't know, I guess, like Kev was saying, Schwartz Schwartz wouldn't be a bad pick. I liked him in the movie pretty well. Trust in Kev. I don't think it's going to be D. Bradley Baker, and he'll just not talk anymore. (laughs) I want Steve Blum to play Sonic. Steve Blum, that would be cool. I would dig that. Does he still do voice work? Yeah, he does all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he does everything. Um... Yeah, uh, I keep seeing ads lately for his. He also does like uh, uh, voiceover classes and stuff. Um, okay. Online. Uh, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite voice actors because like you can also he's you great. can always recognize him, uh, and it's just like oh yes, and he, he does a great job in whatever he yeah. does. Uh, he's just a got few enough weeks ago, I started watching uh, Star Wars Rebels, and he voices one of the characters in that, and it's like one of the best parts of the show because it's a little bit targeted under my age range, right? It's, it's clearly a meant for a a younger audience. Like it's on the cusp of where I would almost straight up call it a kid show. It's like edgy enough that it's like maybe a teenager show. I don't know. But it's like yeah, like the the boys like it, and they're ages yeah, three to eleven. So what I love like... about it though is that Steve Bloom voices one of the main characters, 
And also, I think I watched like 10 episodes or so, and I think nine of them had a just an extra character that was also voiced by Steve Bloom. That's <laughs> it's, great. It's just awesome just how much he just pops in as like a stormtrooper or a farmer or just whatever yeah. random shit they need. They're like, hey, Steve, do this voice, would you? <laughs> You're in the studio anyway. Uh, and that's actually I, he so much too. of that kind of stuff anyways, because uh, he's uh, like, I'm, there have been so many times in video games where I've just been like talking to a random NPC and it's like, that's Steve Bloom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Spotor. <laughs> he's, he's just random people in that. Yeah. Um, I remember I recognized him once as uh, uh, in Doom 3. It, it was like, Oh what? boy, that's random. <laughs> Steve, that's Blitzer. weird. Yeah, yeah, and it's like if you like if you pull so him cool. up too, like he's in everything. Mm-hmm. He's in Mighty Number no. Nine. Like, yeah, I, uh, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records actually as the voice actor with the most video game credits. That is impressive. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I love him as. Uh... Oh no, I'm thinking. I'm not thinking of Steve Bloom. Never mind. No, I like him as Spike, but. Mm-hmm. I love me some Cowboy Bebop, and I love Bo Billingsley. We were just watching a show called Last Exile, I've and now Steve Bloom is in the show. Mm-hmm. It's a great show. It's really, really good. Yeah, a buddy of mine is it's really a good big time. into that. Um, uh, definitely, like, if you can, like, re- rewatch it from the beginning. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good show. It's, it's not too long, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's got Steve Bloom and Bo Billingsley. Okay. Cool. So you have Jet and Spike from Cowboy Bebop, and, nice. and, and um, main character is Johnny Young Bosch. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a good cast. It's it's really great. Yeah, a lot of voices that pop up too. Yeah, that was one I watched a couple of episodes when it was on when Spike TV used to have a anime night or something is on Wednesdays or something, <laughs> and I watched a couple of episodes of it there. And I was like, this is like, I, I dig the idea. And I, but I think they, they had a weird thing where they'd like play a couple of episodes from an anime and then they'd never play it again. They'd play some totally different uh, show the next week. Uh, oh no. It was because Spike TV was weird. <laughs> Spike was weird. Yeah. And towards the end too, like Spike was just like cops and like more cops yeah it's like g4 right but g4 is coming back apparently g4 is coming back i i don't know it's weird how my evolution of like consuming like gamer reviews has evolved Mm -hmm. whereas like now i kind of like i think i'm at that like internet have grown up with it in patience, age and like tolerance of things to the point where like, I don't really, I can't be bothered to sit down and watch like 20 minutes of like pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. for like a game review. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. I need like either it's, it's gotta be like three minutes and under or like, or, or an article that I could read for 20 minutes. I'll sit and read the article for 20 minutes. I won't watch a video. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I, I get that. I have the same thing. It's That's it's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because reading, you can tune in and out at your leisure, I think. Yeah. And I think, video, yeah. you have to pay attention, and if you're not paying attention, you, 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 it's... I 
I'm not sure if this is the ADD talking or if this is just how we function now as like human beings. Uh, but it's you, you like slip your attention away for a moment, or you go to look at something else, and you're like, "Oh shit!" I wanted to hear what they had to say, so you have to go back and rewind, and yeah, requires like more effort to focus on. Yeah, it's difficult. There's too many distractions in this world, too. Like you just can't, you just can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you if there's a video that can do it, it's like you need to be able to make that commitment to like sit down and do that thing for like, you know, 30 minutes or an hour or so. Like I think of, um, uh, Xbox Ahoy, um, Stuart Brown, who does some like great deep dives into like obscure games that I have without well, obscure, but like classic arcade games of your that like i have never played and you know i I enjoy watching those but i gotta sit down and watch it for an hour Mm -hmm. and i'll do it you know it's it's different than watching like i don't know acg do a review on a game i love acg but sometimes it's hard yeah it's my fault should we go into our next piece of news and boot Yes. Let's do it. All right. Hideki Kamiya, who is the founder of Platinum Games, says fans should forget about Bayonetta 3 for now. Unfortunately. Yeah. uh, So I'm not sure exactly what the context of this was. I got this off of um, Nintendo Everything, I think. Um, So check check them out. I think it was Nintendo Everything. Check them out for the full... Full update, uh, exactly, but this is more or less what the quote was, and it's like, it seems to be implying at least that there won't be Bayonetta 3 news for a long time. A lot of people are speculating that, like, some big shit has happened with the project, and Mm. I don't think this necessarily implies that, because we honestly have no idea how far along it was in production when it was announced, so it's like, it could just be him being like, Quit asking me. We just started on it two years ago. It's going to be yeah. another couple of years. Shut up. <laughs> so it's so hard to get a read on exactly what he means by this. Uh, or why he said it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's just, this is also coming off the heels of Astral Chain mm-hmm. getting like the full buyout from Nintendo from Platinum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys caught that as well. I did not. Um yeah, Astral Chain is now fully owned by Nintendo. Okay. Um, which I thought was more of like an obscure Switch title that didn't get like the promotion and marketing that it deserved. Yeah. Um, but I also have not played the game. I don't. I don't really know too much about it. Also. Yeah. Because of that. Um, so that being tied into this, and also Platinum being Platinum, mm-hmm. where like Platinum could also just be like. We're not working on Bayonetta 3 because our entire team is working on Wonderful 102 mm-hmm. or is working on like some other license yeah. thing. Like, you know, like the Platinum has made the um, a Transformers game, uh, Legend of Korra game. Hmm. It could be anything um, that could be occupying Platinum's time. So mm-hmm. um, I never played Bayonetta. Yeah, I've never played it either. I I kept thinking about it when they remastered 1 and 2 for Switch. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. And, like, now I think I've seen it used for, like, 20 bucks at GameStop and whatever. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I should get that. 
but then I'm like, oh, I don't have 20 free. bucks right now. You know, it's yeah. something. It's like there's always been something I'm like, oh, I should get that. That's a great deal. Except I specifically came here to like buy whatever I pre-ordered or an Amiibo or some shit. And I'm just like, ah, oh, now I don't have 20 bucks. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what you going to do? Uh, last piece of news and booze. Um, this is probably my favorite piece of news and booze. Yeah, this is this is the big one. So, uh, Chris has a brief uh, description that he wrote here on our topics, and then we can kind of go into it with basically what all of us know. Um, Wall Street bets retail traders decided to buy up GameStop stock in an attempt to make short selling hedge funds fail. Uh, oh brokers went in as far as to ban purchase of the stock for so far unknown reasons. Uh, so, yeah, so this, this is, is this is just a crazy ass pile of stuff, and like this is like getting around all over the place. I'm like, I was talking to my assistant about this uh, at work the other day, and she, like she is the last person I was would expect to talk about. Um, GameStop, it's mainstream but she's now. fairly big into uh, stock investing. So it's like, whoa, this is like crossed the line. I didn't think would be crossed. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it's and it's just like blowing up. It's such a weird scenario too. Like, uh, I think it's just hilarious that like even Elon Musk got into this and he was just like, yeah, Hey, uh, these guys have tried to fuck my company a bunch. And, and he himself, I think, uh, drove up stock prices by like, uh, 25% or something overnight, basically oh, just by when buying he tweeted up it out. So, so uh, I could give like a full rundown, but it would take a while. Mm-hmm. on the situation but uh long story short the stock jumped from i want to say something like ten dollars a pop to 350 yeah and, uh, yeah over the course of a just i think it's above days. that now it's like 425 yeah and i keep uh, seeing different stories of people right that were like affected by this yeah i saw one that there's like apparently this 10 year old kid in dallas and like his mom bought him a couple of stocks of GameStop a few years ago, uh, oh just as a little bit of an investment for like ten bucks a share. Like, and then they were just going down, 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 and they were like feeling hopeless about the investment, but they were like, "It's the thought that counts." Whatever. But then the they exploded, and I guess they made like five thousand bucks profit or some shit. Wow, it's like. That kid. All right, that's a good, you know, decent chunk for college or whatever. That's awesome yeah. for a kid. I'm like, Hell or he's yeah. like got a new car. Yeah. Um, there are so many great memes with this in regards to like GameStop's kind of like policies on things, where like, you know, oh, I invested and I have like, you know, five thousand dollars worth of stock in GameStop, like, and now like. They froze it on Robinhood, but GameStop will honor it as like, you know, five dollars and fifteen cent trade in credit towards a, like a used game. I gotta <laughs> say, this is the first time I've made more than twenty five cents off of any GameStop anything. <laughs> <laughs> I have this thing with GameStop where I go in there and I am like 
I am I'm like a unicorn to GameStop um, like sales associates, and this is pretty great. I have like I don't even know what it means. Like three three hundred thousand. Uh, the number doesn't even matter. I have like infinitely many GameStop points mm-hmm. over like multiple decades of GameStop purchases. And uh, maybe like 16 or 17 years of, of GameStop purchases. It's not multiple decades, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I have many points. And they like it happens every time I go to buy a game. I bought stocks there the last time I was at GameStop. And they were like, Hey, do you know, like, you're really weird because you have like a Kerbillion points and you could buy this and get the subscription thing and do this. And I'm like, I only come in here like every eight months just to like, you know, piss all you guys off and make me worship my, my ginormous amount of points. Like that's all I'm here for. Nice. Um, I, I don't know what to do with it. They explain it to me every time. And every time I go into a GameStop, it's like once every four or five months or six months or so, and now it's been less frequent. So I go into a GameStop and they explain their policy about how my stuff can like get me like, you know, I don't know, like a golden goose or, you know, $50 worth of trade in or I subscribe and get some magazines or what have you. I, I, I can't keep them all straight anymore because over the years it, it changes. Every five months, there's like some new GameStop finagled thing that's like, wow, you have 500,000 points. You could get a GameStop car now. And it's like, I don't want the GameStop car. Sorry. You know, I'll be back here when you upgrade me to like the jumbo jet in like a year or two. Uh, I'm waiting for the day where I walk into GameStop like three years from now and I walk out with with my own private jet. Right. (laughs) Although I might not if if all the stocks are are worth all this this amount of money now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're playing so, the long game. I've always, like, for a long time, I used to just, like, cash in all my GameStop points at the end of the year and get Christmas presents for everybody that way. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get I, him a T-shirt. I'll get him a, you know, coaster set, you know, just whatever. I don't think you could do that doing. anymore, though. Yeah, now they don't have any physical. Yeah, they don't have so that. So now all you can trade it in for is gift cards and stuff, which is like. Watch, watch. I, I could have traded them for stock options, like, six months ago, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. I love it so much. It's so ridiculous. It's not just GameStop, too, that this is um, a part of. It's like a subreddit, Wall Street Bets, I think. Yes. So Wall Street Bets is the thing that kind of kicked us off. It was a user called, uh, I want to say, Deep Fucking Value, who (laughs) balls in, invested, like, I want to say, three quarters of a million dollars back when GameStop stock was cheap okay. uh, i want to say around like 2019 or something like that yes uh so he's like a multi-millionaire now due to this increase sure yeah um but the thing that gets me about this gamestop stock it thing is that it got so bad that the brokers had to restrict trading for there, there's con, yeah. there's more um, conspiracy minded reasons. Yeah, my understanding is that the, the so I've heard multiple suggestions as to why trading was banned or restricted and it's limited. Been, yeah, to like two. Um, the restriction, I think, I, I think the explanation that's more likely to be correct is. Basically, 
the clearing houses that process those trades tr increased the amount they charged the brokers for them. So the brokers were just running out of money really fast. So they had to put yeah. the down to you know not go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's there's also all sorts of uh, shenanigans going on behind the scenes because there's a lot of money at stake and it's held by some pretty wealthy people. Yeah, I, that's what I see a lot of on Facebook where it's like, that's my source of news for video games and wrestling. <laughs> but I see like the side of it where it's like, you know, um, hedge fund folks who are purchasing stocks off of like short sales. I want to use the right terms here. Yeah, so um, short they're like borrowing. Yeah. yeah. Like borrowing a stock and then selling it back, taking a risk and saying like, okay, yeah, I'm going to buy the stock from you and then buy it from you at seven and then sell it at ten and then I make a lot of money. So and then that, like you uh, get your seven and you uh, you're safe. Could so when you short a stock, you're essentially buying it. You're essentially selling it before you buy it. Mm -hmm. So you sell the stock. You you borrow the stock. You have to make sure value the stock that exists. you determine. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to return that stock in a certain amount of time, because uh, that's how that works. Uh, and then, uh, and then you hope to buy it back, and you hope to buy it back at a lower value. So it's a way of banking that the investment will go down. This exposes you. So this is in a downturn. This can be a way that these people make money, uh, is by hoping the investment goes down. Can you, um. GameStop is the most shorted stock on the market, or at least it was when this whole thing yeah, not began. Anymore. Uh, having more than a hundred percent of the shares in circulation shorted by somebody, so that means people more shares had been shorted by people than could be brought back, which is uh, insane. I'll, 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 I won't get into the details, any more There's detail about, about that it now. with Christian Bale and uh, Bradley Cooper. If you're confused, go check out The Big Short. That movie was awesome. The Big Short. The Big Short. Uh, I have not seen The Big Short. Yeah. I just linked for the benefit of us here on this uh, on this glorious podcast um, a like a screen grab that explains it at like a lower than fifth grade level. To me, like, I was just like, I'm not getting it. Like, why does this not make sense to me? Because everyone over-explained it. Right. So, and I read this, and it was great. Mm -hmm. I could read this verbatim if we'd like. So, I I, I got my explanation that I'm doing here. So, a short sell. Yes. So, when you're doing, when you're shorting a stock, you are exposing yourself to, hypothetically, unlimited risk. Because yes. you can short a stock uh, when the price is twenty, and you can hope to sell it at ten, and hope to park at ten bucks. Uh, but if the stock goes up to say three thousand uh, dollars, you're out two thousand eight hundred, and there's no limit to how high a stock can get. It feels like you're like betting on the weather with no analysis of what the weather is going to be like. You have so, no concept of what winter is, but you're betting for like sun mm -hmm. and like rain. So in this case, uh, shorting GameStop 
in, in more normal conditions might not be so stupid for an institutional investor who can expose themselves to that kind of risk. Sure. Uh, but the fact it was so shorted left them open to this kind of tactic where they just buy up the stock, they buy up as much of the stock on the market as they can, and then they just hold it, driving the price up. Yes. I've seen this happen in MMOs. Yeah. <laughs> That's how uh, yeah, we paid for an entire are, guild ship in SWOTOR. MMOs are kind of funny in how well they represent economies. So Yeah. I always thought if, that was interesting, just like reselling shit on the uh, auction house in World of Warcraft. It was like especially on different servers where I was like, I have the same profession on two of my characters on different servers. And it's like, how come leather sells for so much more on this server? The other server, nobody gives a shit. Cause people in Italy appreciate their leather more than in uh, Germany. I don't know. Something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's called cabotage. Ah. All right. Shall we get into our table topic, or is there anything we really want to say on the rest of this? Uh, there's other than I find this stuff really interesting, but it is nerd. It's like incredible nerd talk, and not of the normal, like word game kind of nerds kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I died. Oh no! I didn't really know what you were doing here, but it looked really cool. Yeah, I, I swapped over to Noida. It's easier to concentrate to play this game gotcha. and talk than that other game. More like Twin Stick Shooter here. Yeah. Um, while we get into the tabletop of the week, I want to grab another brouhaha. That is not a bad idea, because uh, we All actually right. talked like longer than I expected, because we accidentally yeah. had a guest, which is awesome. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, this I might is, have to great. get up in a minute uh, after the table topic or something. So you go ahead. Um, All right, I'm going to go die. All right, and uh, we will introduce our table topic here. Uh, So table topic for the week is, uh, is it worth customizing the minutiae of NPCs slash enemies slash bosses? So this is kind of coming from a perspective of a GM. Uh, So if you're GM in a game, is it worth customizing the minutiae of NPCs, enemies, and bosses? Or is it better to just throw in some neat-sounding abilities with appropriately scaled damage numbers and wing? Which is... uh, Because I've known a lot of DMs that have customized the minutiae of every single NPC that you ever come across. And myself as a DM, if you come across an NPC, I will look up in the DMG of just any commoner, and that'll be it. I don't care. And if you're fighting an enemy, I give them an appropriately scaled damage number, and I wing it. That's just the way that I do. I'm just like, I make up these weird bullshit attacks, and I I give them appropriately scaled, like, attack modifiers and damage. And that's, that's just kind of how I design stuff. Uh, so... Um, do either you guys kind of go the other route or somewhere of a middle ground or where do you stand on this? Well, I'm going to start with the old cop-out answer. It depends. And then <laughs> go go into detail about it depends on what exactly. So I think in complicated systems like 3.5 and Pathfinder, you get way more benefit out of using your method mm-hmm. where you just, because they already statted out 
what, thousands, tens of thousands of monsters, and you can look them up for free on the internet right. uh, instantly. And if you just need something kind of unique, you can, like, give one monster another monster's, like, one of their special abilities or something. The and Beholder then swallows you whole! Go. Yeah, so, yeah, shit like that. Puts the hole in the holder. <laughs> That's the Beholder. Uh... I think you're. I think in complicated systems, you're more benefited from quickly. I think we swapping. still have to drink for puns. That's a rule, isn't it? Oh yeah. Try sleep. I'm drinking anyways. I don't care if it's a rule. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll drink to that. Fries leap. Ooh, got a new beer. It's a good one. Yeah, this is like their standard. Sweet. It's really nice on top. Now that I think about it, we all forgot to rate our beers. Um, so this West we Pack's even forgot doing, to introduce ourselves. We did. Who am I? Who are you? Why are you people here? I guess we introduced Kevin because he came in like part of the way through. Yeah. We only yeah. sort of introduced him. It's like this is Kevin. Yeah. Oh, and Kevin's he's here. here. <laughs> oh, he's wearing purple again. So this is Mr. Or- Kevin O'Rourke. Uh, he's uh, Mr. Shabazzle himself. You can check him out on other stuff. We'll plug ourselves more on the end of the podcast. Uh, of course, we have our glorious co-host, Chris, the glorious Hi. co-host, Audette. Hi, I'm Chris, uh, Apes Together Strong, Audette. And, of course, myself, Sean Michael Patrick Spamoman at your leisure. Or whatever the hell my name is. I don't know, I'm having an identity crisis. I'm like, am I Spamoman or am I Sean Michael Patrick Thompson? I don't know, but I'll certainly drink either way. So, yeah, um, this, um, I have basically the choice between Westfax, um, Tears of Our Enemies, uh, which is a Scottish ale, because I went specifically to get a Scotch ale to go with my haggis that I've been eating all week because I have a bunch of leftover haggis. But we've been over that. Uh, So I had a choice between this and Old Chub, which is a Scotch Ale from... What's the brewery in Lyons, Chris? It's up in Lyons. Uh, What is up in Lyons? There's one brewery in Lyons. Anyways, uh, Old Chub is their Scotch Ale. Oscar Blues is the name of that brewery. Yeah. Oscar Uh, Blues? Yes, Oscar Blues. From uh, from Arrested Development. No, from Oscar Bluth is a character from it. Is he? Oh, Uh, Oscar Bluth is a uh, George Bluth's brother from Arrested Development. (laughs) I don't know. I was thinking if there's anything in the naming there. That's funny. Yeah. Was Oscar the younger brother? No. They were twins. Oh, I never watched that far into the show. I think I only it's watched Jeffrey. T- it's Jeff. Yeah, he's in season two. I think it's Jeffrey Tambor's twin brother, the huh. da- the dad. Yeah, I never watched that show, uh, but uh, Oscar Blues it's a good is time. Uh, very locally, very well renowned in Colorado as kind of one of the breweries that really pioneered craft brewing in the state. Uh, and they've gone out of their way to help other craft breweries kind of get started, kind of give them guidance as they go, help them huh. uh, get canning machines. They are uh, the inventor of the crowler. I don't know if you guys have crowlers. Oh, or yeah. I yeah. love crowlers, too. Uh, they're yeah. like they're like a big investment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they they these guys are like they invented the crowler and they like came up with the idea that you could just have a machine to can one beer at a time in a large-ish size 
and they started this and they started kind of by calling other breweries up and being like, hey, we have this idea. You want this canning machine. We'll help you figure out the finances. We'll help you figure out the logistics and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, really, they're one of the most important pioneers of the Colorado craft brewing scene. So, uh, Interesting. yeah, um, I think overall I like their Scotch Ale better than this, but there is definitely a place for this Westfax one. Westfax is another local brewery, actually very close uh, here. They're on like uh, Colfax and Sheridan. So uh, if you've ever heard of Casa Bonita out here, it's right next to that. Uh, so it's, um, yeah, this is, this is a pretty good one. It's a little kind of lighter on the characteristics of what I think make a Scotch Ale a Scotch Ale. But there's a place for that because it's a lot easier drinking because it's like this is only a 7.1, whereas uh, Old Chub is uh, 8%. So uh, it's it's like they they have a lot of the same characteristics, obviously. They're very malt forward. They're, uh, you know, very good texture. Uh, but the, the old chub is like almost chewy with how thick it is. It's, it's so good. Um, so, um, I'd rate it a little lower than that, but because you can actually maybe session one of these, oh, no, I died I'm like, because I was okay, I'll accept it. Oof. I understand what you're going for. So it's, it's very good beer. I will rate this a, uh, we'll go 14 on our scale of three to 17. Uh, Chris, what are you drinking? Have we have we even gone over what you're drinking? No, you're drinking we haven't. Left hand uh, out again. I'm, I'm doing no. I'm doing another IPA. Ooh. Kind of I'm on Ooh, IPA. Uh, Juicy Freak, also from Denver Beer Co. Yes, Juicy I've Freak. had that one. Uh, which I'm actually kind of liking a lot better than the IPA I, I had. I, I guess uh, I I was like the last IPA was what I would consider like very much. Oh, like the platonic ideal of an IPA, but this mm-hmm. is, it's almost, it's almost nice and mild, I want to say, for an okay. IPA. That can be good, yeah. I haven't had Juicy but it doesn't Freak lack for a while, for, but it doesn't every lack now and then I get the Denver Beer Company mix pack, uh, so I, I've had it enough times that I should probably be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that tastes like, but I don't because I drink so much other shit. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, but uh, generally they make good stuff, and I've had Juicy Freak, and I remember liking it. So there you go. Juicy yeah. Freak. yeah, Juicy Freak is a. Uh... <clears throat> what do you rate that Juicy Freak on is it, a scale? Is it super seven? freaky? It's uh, it's for a beer called Juicy Freak. It's actually very, very mild. I'd say. Uh, it's I I'd probably rate it a fifteen. I kind of. It's pretty good. It, it still has the hops. It still has the bitterness you'd expect from an IPA. It still tastes right. like it's just a... Mm-hmm. But nice flavor. Yeah. I feel like I've probably had one of those on the podcast even, and I don't remember <laughs> what I I feel like I've had that out here. Maybe. Denver Beer Company is a pretty big... They, uh, they make it around. around here. So they, they... I wouldn't be surprised if they distribute out that far, yeah. This can seems familiar too. I just did a little googly search here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've had Juicy Freak before, and I give it a thumbs up. Like, it, if it is what I'm thinking, it, I, I've had this, and it, it, it's pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what would you rate your? Denver beer makes its way out. Yeah. Uh, what would you rate your beer there, Kevin, on a scale of three so to seventeen? I, 
I've had two, and I have um, a third that I could have too, a session IPA. Um, Fries leap. <laughs> yeah, for real. I'm, uh, you never know. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll squeak a commander game in, in this podcast somewhere. Um, you know what? I still have I, my fucking uh, dinosaurs right here. I need to see this. Please pull out the like all the top loader. You showed the case off too, which is this is I great. Did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I sorted all of my decks out into this box on the counter there that you could see. Mm-hmm. I have ten decks in that one. It's a uh, Innistrad gift box. I don't think yeah. they make those anymore either. Right? Yeah, that's probably about the same size box as this, but I've only got one deck in here. <laughs> that looks about right. Yeah, but I have ten. Yeah. Or eight, I think. Yeah. There's my, there's my, let's see if I can pick it all up at once. I'll be impressed. Ooh, there you go. It's a Gyshath, right? The, uh, Naya dinosaur guy. Gishath, yeah. Or Gishath, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sun's Yeah, tomato. Yeah, he's a really awesome general. Uh, when I first saw this guy, first of all, I was impressed, uh, because, as a fucking dinosaur nerd I am, I recognize that he, uh, like, because a lot of people are describing him as a T-Rex. He is not based off of a T-Rex. No, he is, he's not. He is based off of a South American cousin of the T-Rex called the Giganotosaurus. Uh, yeah, Gigantosaurus. Giganto. Yes, often it's pronounced as Gigantosaurus. Space actually, fighting there's robot. A, there's even a cartoon about a Gigantosaurus that my kids watch, which is hilarious because it's like got nothing to do with what the show is it? It's called Gigantosaurus. Oh, okay. Uh, Very aptly named. Yeah, which is odd yeah. though because it it mostly follows like this pack of like four unrelated dinosaurs, and they're all like totally anthropomorphic dinosaurs except for the the gigantosaurus is just like this guy that just wanders around doing dinosaur shit he's like not even a main character he's just like he's in most episodes but he's not it's like clifford it's so weird (laughs) clifford's a big dog but also he's got a really awesome um he's just a really awesome general and i figured what if I? He is a powerful uh, one too. Yeah. He is like his ability, his mana ability is pretty powerful. Yeah, because as soon as you get him out and just start swinging every turn for free dinosaurs, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> So he's my, a really good Naya general. Yeah. So pretty much my strategy is I play Gishath as soon as possible with a buttload of mana ramp, and then I start punching you in the face for big general damage and free dinosaurs and. It's very successful. I think it's probably the most successful EDH deck I've ever built. So it's a ton of fun. What were we um, talking about? <laughs> we were talking about me entering my beer, but I have another magic segue that I'm going to go into real quick. Okay. I'm sorry for everybody I, who came here for beer, but you're going to have to suck it because Kev has magic cards. This is fine. I have so many magic cards. It's great. And I have more on order. Um, I, this is special too, because this is magic and D and it may not look like it here, but it is. Mm. This is a party. My first D and D party. Nice. We did not have tokens. We did not have a map. We had no overlays. We had no like whiteboard or anything. We had magic cards that I pulled out that defined who we were in this game. We had our Ranger, um, our Paladin, a fighter and a barbarian 
and we used magic cards to like denote where we were like on the board, which was like a table. That's cool. And we used that to like measure Cos- where we were like fighting people and such. It was cool. I have never I seen it. that cause of death before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have also made a uh, couple of edits since the last time I played, but I haven't been able to use them because I haven't hardly played Magic since the pandemic. Uh, so it's I have hard. a few of these uh, Godzilla oh, cards. Oh, the Godzilla card, card, yes. Yeah, so I have a few of That's those. That's the toughness card, right? Yeah, uh, this one, yeah, he, uh, you... Your damage is toughness instead of power, right? Uh, no, damage to your creatures is dealt to their That's so confusing. power instead of their toughness. So we, um, he's a seven three himself, so you have to uh, you have to hit him for seven damage, even though his toughness is only three. I like that a lot. Yeah, so it's. A, I think that's pretty powerful. That's a yeah. gruel card too. Red yeah. and red that and one green. particularly doesn't really like play gruel. into a lot of my uh, decks, kind of things it's like a couple of my cards benefit from godzilla. it but at the same time i get to fuck you up with godzilla and it's awesome there's some like big stomping dinosaurs too that could block you know yeah um i have this is an invite coming out here i have had talks with another guest on this podcast mr gift blue hawk oh yeah mr uh, t wells yeah um We've been in the works of playing with um, our good buddy Sean um, with playing Commander. Yes, (laughs) Um, Mr. Sean G. um, With playing um, Commander through Tabletop Simulator. Where if you give me a deck list, we could possibly play play in a game and... To shout some some commanders. Okay, well, I have tabletop simulator, Sean. I do not, but it's been a thing that I've heard about enough that I've thought about it, so I could check it out. Yeah, it's it's cool. <laughs> um, it's easy to play too. I have a few like commander tables, and um, I can import decks real easily. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm drinking a beer. What? I'm drinking a fries leap. And I bought the like combo variety pack. It's a Fry's Leap, Haze Forward, and Session Simmer IPA. Simmer Simmer Down Session IPA. Mm-hmm. And they're all really good. Nice. I'm gonna rate the Fry's Leap at a uh, 15 yep. on our scale. Um, it's really good. I think I think it's uh, like most beers. It, it's better on tap, um, but it, it's it's good out of the can. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy it. It is like your. It's it's just a good IPA. It's enjoyable. It's their like go to IPA. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this more than a lot of uh, beers that I've had in New York. Nice. Um, this is a main special here. Days um, forward is a nice hazy IPA. It's it does it does its job. It's it's all right. But this this is a nice IPA. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll drink to that. Sweet. So back to our table topic. Um, is it yes. worth customizing all the minutiae of NPCs, enemies, and bosses, or just throw in some neat abilities? And I think uh, we're up to me. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this? Do you DM much? I don't DM much, but when I do, I go overboard. Okay. Um, so I'm in the camp of plan for everything. 
and anything. And like, even if it's just the thought of, so like, I think good DMs don't necessarily need to write everything down. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same token, like, I like to take the obsidian fallout approach to things. Whereas like, they'll look at a camp of raiders and be like, how do they sustain their population? Um, Do they farm? Do they trade? Do they do this? Like, why are they here? Um, I planned a battle royal session that was one map that was used. I had five prepared. um, And I had motives for um, bosses, characters, NPCs, and separate layouts for other bosses, ten of which never made it. And they never were going to either. Only one of them was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I was rolling to see like what boss would show up, and then like making tweaks on the fly. Mm-hmm. But I like planning all those things out to have like my own lexicon that I can fall to as mm-hmm. a um, as a really just as a um, dictionary to to DM with. Um, Mm. and I don't DM very often, but, um, I am of the mindset of, you know, taking like, uh, you have your textbook, um, nulls that show up, but why are these nulls here? What do these nulls do? Do they maybe speak another language because they're close to elves? Uh, why do I have Triton that could be nearby? Like, have they traded with Triton? Are they tolerant of them? I think of like all the political faction stuff between them. And I think of like, I I especially like to think of languages. I think that's kind of an unsung um, character trait where I look at my party and that kind of like decides on um, things like language and culture Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, like I have, triton characters that are here in this campaign or this one shot and i have like elves that might near be nearby or like i have like um homebrewed shape-shifting werewolves that are also tritons you know they're wolf wolf fish people i don't know Mm -hmm. um anything that comes to mind i over prepare and i love it for it because the rewards have shown for Mm -hmm. being um someone that in in my case over prepares and and can adapt i think if you over prepare and you like fall into a like a contingency that a player like may have like gotten to where it's like oh yeah by the way i'm gonna talk to the vampire and see what he has to say and it's like oh well let me turn to page 55 of my preparation notes and be like, yes, I am the vampire. Yes, you're a triton. I'm going to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you, you can't do that. You can't do that in any kind of role-playing game. Um, you need to adapt on the fly. With that being said, if that vampire dies or becomes a friend for some reason, I have a backup of like three or four other things that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like a vampire's ex-lover that appears, or the wolfman. Um, Sorry, right, guys. The butler all along. I think you took the question in a way that I I wasn't necessarily even thinking of, which was um, uh, 
not just uh, like the stats of NPC monster with vague personality traits, but in terms of like culture, social yeah. structure, all that, all that sort of thing. And I'm like a lot, and uh, I feel like a lot of that stuff, especially uh, if if you're if you feel like you're going to get a lot of mileage out of it, uh, is worth putting the work into. Yeah. Uh, it can be a lot. Of, can be a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely I did that with um, uh, one of my more recent campaigns that I've been running. That was intended. That was and is still being ran and is uh, more of a long term campaign, kind of on hiatus due to COVID. Uh, yeah, I I build a lot into it, like subconsciously and like purposefully too where like i have a lot of like um vampire horror stuff that i'll build into things and like irish mythos but that is fun what what i will what i will say is that uh in terms of actually preparing stuff about that stuff i you um I would tend to not plan out any outcomes whatsoever. Uh, just be aware, other than you know being aware of what might happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I am the opposite. Was... I, I live off what ifs in D and D. Or mm-hmm. uh, I mean, for me, I'm playing D and D. But right. Um, yeah. Like. Just what ifs at a loose level of being like, you know, what if uh, this person did this or what if this person did that? And um, on the flip side, like I'll also have like kind of predetermined things where it's like, yes, these are orcs, but these are orcs that have like the same kind of like cultural um, backgrounds and like beliefs of things that are based off of like uh, Chinese civilization that I've read about from like 200 AD um, or like these are kind of similar to Irish people like in this time period uh, or like Ulster legends of like you know elves that are actually acting like the Ulster cycle and following like you know legendary heroes of things that have happened I, I, I think that far in advance where it's like you know, they're very um, proud of these warriors that have existed in their, you know, in their culture. Or, like, I'll go left field with it and be like, these guys are a lot like the Klingons from Star Trek who, mm-hmm. like, care about Kalos. And, um, so it sounds like you're the sort of person who'd really enjoy uh, something like a... Uh, trying to, I, I linked this blog in our Discord here, but I'll read out the title. A Collection of Unmitigated Pedantry. Where that's uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, I care yeah. about all that way too much. Mm-hmm. Which it, it's it's like uh, where are the people at the tavern dancing? I yeah, care about that so it's much. Got, it's got a lot of the uh, kind of the historical uh, elements examining fiction. Yeah, with enough to not get in the way too. Like all that could exist yeah. in my brain, and it's not going to affect any other player. That's kind of how I am as a DM, because as I said, like, uh, when I'm designing the stats, I'm a little bit lazy about it. I'm like, okay, mm. I designed this monster, and I'm like, 
you know, it's a regular ass monster, right? It's just there's a bunch yeah. of them in the dungeon because Here that's the how it works. Okay. It's got like regular stats, it's got like regular HP, and then the boss yeah. has a buttload of HP and cool. But what if they cast cold spells? But why would they do that? Yeah, but but that's kind of what I get into though, is like yeah, the fun. motive behind the boss. And a lot of the culture, because yeah. one of the things that I really like designing as a DM is uh, the culture. So that's something that I kind of focus more on rather than... Why do your kobolds worship a dragon? Yeah. Do they like realize that. it's not a dragon and it's actually a dragonborn on stilts? Like, Right. <laughs> you know, why I, yeah. Why not, right? I actually like, it's created funny. a uh, Legend of Zelda campaign uh, at one point that uh, Chris actually played in for a little while. And I, I actually had a lot of fun kind of thinking about uh, some of the just like random things that I was putting into uh, the cultures in that. Uh, like... Uh, my dungeon ended up being underneath the Kakariko graveyard because we, we basically we did this Ooh. as a kind of a round robin oh, like, DM thing similar. where like I would create a dungeon wherein my character would be the main character and we were all basically the sages that were powering each other up to get magical abilities to assist Link in ki killing Ganon. That way you didn't have to worry about, like, who's going to be Link, right? Or something like that. You know, who's the main sure. character? Because in a D&D campaign, that it doesn't really work to have one main character. Right, yeah. Um, and so my, my dungeon was underneath the Kakariko graveyard. And so designing this graveyard, I was just like... Uh, I, I had some ideas in my head and I was like, okay, what if there's just grave after grave after just a shitload of graves and they're just like every five feet is a grave and I'm like, well, it's not big enough to really bury a person, is it? Um, and then, hold on, unless you bury them. They were Kokiri. That, now that would have been funny too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I was like, what if they buried their dead vertically? And then I was like, okay, now, why would they bury their dead vertically? Because of the sun me... song from the Composer Brothers that guides them towards the upper light. I feel like I had a reference into there somewhere, but I don't remember exactly what it was. But the reason that I came up with... I'm thinking of Mr. Dave... David, Dave Wayne. Yeah, yeah, he's been on the podcast a few times, too. Go check him out. I Eventually think he'd have something about that. Book. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's a cool guy. I think he could have a few things about the Composer Bros. Yeah, but uh, the reason that I came up with was like, I was like, how can I relate this to the actual culture of Kakariko? And so before I introduced the players to this, I like was kind of putting them on this path towards you have to go into Kakariko village in order to get, you know, a little bit of information on where the dungeon might be. Then you find it's in the graveyard. And when they mm -hmm. went into the pub to search for information, they found there's no chairs at the pub because it's just this traditional thing that the Kakariko stand with their comrades as a, a sign of respect. Interesting. And that's why they bury their dead vertically so that eternally okay. they may stand with their comrades. And it, this, I was thinking you stand vertically details. to make your shadow as tiny as possible. Shadow Temple in Kakariko Village? Uh, yeah, actually it was the Earth Temple was my element, so... It's uh, the same deal, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Right? Uh, so that would... It, that would I think it's the Earth Temple from Wind Waker. Yeah. Um, I, I took some of the cues from that, because uh, I did some fun, some fun light puzzles and stuff in the dungeon. Uh, and actually the dungeon I also yeah. based off of the, the Skyward Sword dungeon, where it's like a... 
a slide puzzle in the sky keep oh and sky you have keep, to yeah. slide it around but instead i kind of took that concept and applied it to i made the dungeon like a giant rubik's cube where there's like four layers the of the like... dungeon but you can Ooh. rotate them in order to uh figure this out this is too deep for my to, party but... yeah in order to like get the light down like from this. the surface to uh, the bottom floor in order to open up the boss room and stuff like that. Oh, man. I want to play this right now. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll go dig up my notes next time. Yeah, next oh, time you're gosh. available, let me know, and we'll run through this dungeon. That'll be fun. I um, Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. I think also, too, I just want to point out that the um, Wind Waker Earth Temple, I think, applies more to like a D&D setting. Mm-hmm. Than the um, more of the gotchas of like the Shadow Temple, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, there was a thing, but it was invisible. So yeah, you, you found it. Made an investigation check with your lens, and you found it. Right. Whereas like a puzzle that's ever shifting and using the light sounds way more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So, if I'm coming from with a takeaway here, far far away from another point I wanted to make, but probably a more important point is that the thing about NPCs and monsters isn't the important stuff about that isn't so much their stats as it is their uh, kind of why they're there and how they function, their behaviors how they interact with the players. I think that's a little bit... Yeah, that's that's kind of right on the nose, because I'm going to reference another campaign that I DM that actually, Chris, you were in this campaign, and and maybe you can kind of uh, see where I'm going with this. Uh, In my... I I created a Ragnarok campaign, where basically I was just going to pit the gods against each other and see what the player characters did. And this is kind of the whole basis behind this. So in order to do this, I created this whole pantheon of like some of the gods work in the day and some of the gods work in the night to keep this ancient evil asleep, right? And uh it's like the latest magic set. Does it? I haven't Yeah, Chaldean Viking uh set. Huh. I'll have to check that out. You tie it in perfectly. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's basically I kind of created this pantheon and uh, I wasn't really sure how I was going to get them to fight, but I created them with their individual personalities. All the gods have, like, they... Basically, the world is segregated into countries, and every country's government is leaded by one of the gods, is more or less kind of how this, this world works. And uh, there's, like, lesser gods, and there's, like, ridiculously powerful gods. And I didn't tell any of the players which ones were which. So it's like, at any point, you can go fight a god. And if you kill him, you get his divine ranks. But there's a chance that you'll just piss off the wrong god and he'll one-shot you because he's got like 20 divine ranks or something and he'll fuck you up. Uh, so I this is kind of the basis I did this on. And I didn't really come up with an idea of why the gods were going to fight. And then the player characters just accidentally made it happen. And it was kind of hilarious. Just the way that they played, they were just like, uh, 
like somebody, I think actually I, I rolled on my random encounter table and Chris, you were accused of a crime and my brother Dan was playing with us and he like deflected and said, oh no, it was these spies sent from this other country. And then that sparked a war between those two countries. And because each country has a god as its leader, that sparked Ragnarok. And now all of the countries are kind of like teaming up. Who's going to, you know, have these allegiances? And it's it was also kind of cool because I had kind of these gods of the light and gods of the dark. And so the gods of the light are like in charge during the daytime. And the gods of the night or or the gods of the darkness are, are... in charge during the nighttime. And so there's mostly their kind of butting heads, but there's particular gods that like are allied, like between them, depending on what their personality is, how they have known the other gods and stuff like that. So like, particularly there's two gods that are brothers that actually haven't come up in the campaign yet, but at a point when they do, uh, they would ally with each other despite whatever is going on with Ragnarok. So stuff like that. Um, and I thought it was just, it, it really helped too to kind of solidify this because of a particular adventure where one of our characters was like, uh, really just wanted to get down to the root of the matter. And uh, for some reason, you guys had to go visit the God of the Dragons and uh you yeah and you were all like walking there like taking the scenic route is how chris described it is what our group likes to do and uh we got a new player and he kind of had a different idea and eh, it's fine you know every player is gonna play different so we're like okay and he's just like i just teleport us there boom we're there and i was like not prepared at all i was just like those are the moments where you need to be like i thought you guys were gonna be there for like yeah, I was like planning you were guys were going to be traveling there for like, uh, you know, four or five sessions, just like walking there. And he just teleports you there instantly. And I was just like, Someone okay. encounter spells, do teleport. That would have no. been uninteresting, but I, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> like to keep player freedom up as well. I, I just yeah, like, it's, it's if more you fun have an idea way. as a player, I want you to do it. Uh, and, uh, but in retrospect, I think we talked about this later, Chris, and you didn't even notice, you didn't even know that I was like totally taken off guard by this. And you thought the session went like totally normally, like I had prepared for you guys to talk to Muhammad and everything. Good, good DM. And I was like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Apparently I'm not bad at that. So heavy enough that uh, having a, to improvise a little bit more than usual isn't yeah. too difficult and then it's also kind of fun because whenever i design a dungeon and for some reason the player character is circumvented i can just like be like okay next time i need a dungeon it's already ready <laughs> <laughs> that works too because you guys completely bypassed whatever content I had prepared, and I was just like, I rewrote a couple of things and made it the next session. <laughs> I'm like, all right. That works. And that's another kind of thing that I, I think is in the favor of not bothering too much to uh, worry about all of the minutiae mechanically. Because as, as long as I've got sure. those guys, you know... I can still get you to the dungeon regardless of where the dungeon technically is in the world. 
somehow, eventually, you guys will go to a dungeon because that's how I make my campaigns. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there's there's like DMing the way with it to like. I can think of our good or my good bud, um, Mr. Greg, Mr. Greg H. And he has kind of like given us the option a bit more in layman's terms too, of like, Hey, ask you or the underdark and do this here because of like this thing that you guys have heard about, or like you can go out to this Island here where there are, you know, these Triton folks or this group that's happening here in this, you've heard whispers of this, or you've, you know, encountered these creatures and so-and-so has reached out to you about this, but you know, the pressure isn't really there. Mm-hmm. The sandbox of it makes it kind of open, whereas like we can make a decision as the party, and then he can kind of like sculpt towards that where he has both planned, but like Underdark or Triton, whatever happens, happens. It's not like, um, oh, you chose Underdark, but haha, like a wizard showed up and transported you to the Triton people. Um, mm-hmm. Me, I plan six more things. That's just me. Yeah. Um, so if you want to go to the Ganassi area, whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there, th- there's, uh, there's reasoning for both, I think. Yeah. I like planning. I like over planning. Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on this table topic or shall we move on to video games? Uh, again, I always, I generally run, a, a game systems that are much mechanically much more simple and as a result when i have to come up with like abilities that interact with the mechanics uh they tend to take a lot less thought so i have a lot and i have a lot more freedom in coming up with generally like unique things Mm -hmm. so i do prefer to handcraft stuff when I'm running those those games as opposed to your Pathfinders and your 3.5s or whatever. Yeah. Or your 5th editions, even. Mm-hmm. I I do have one last point to add, mm-hmm. if you're all set. Okay. Um, there are times where it's like you want to be able to like plan ahead and have all these things like developed and, and thought of. But when it comes down to actually having like an encounter... You want to be able to have your characters lined out where it's like, okay, like your party is fighting this and you have like phases or you have things set up where it's like, oh, the party steamrolled those guys. But like, wait, reinforcements happened because they did this before. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to be spending a lot of time being like, man, yeah, you know what though? That should have been like, these guys have these cold spells that showed up. So like, let me go to fighter number five that had this. And then go to Mambo number five that did this. A little bit of Rita in my life. Um, you want to be able to like do that quickly enough in the sphere of you know like playing a game. Yeah. Where you don't need you don't want load screens. You don't want uh, per, you know personal load screens where you as the DM are like fumbling through notes to kind of figure things out. Where it's like, of course the encounter's starting and this man rolls out and there's five skeletons here. And you figure out the skeletons as everyone's rolling for initiative, like things like that. Mm-hmm. You have skeletons that rise up, and you have skeletons that are like skeletons covered in moss because they're in a swamp. And then you realize that it's like, shoot, you know what? I actually wanted my evil druid to be here, so like I'm gonna have him come through and have a dialogue bit with the other druid and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, you adapt. 
Yeah. And we're pretty deep into the weeds here, but uh, I think there. Well, there's something to be said for improvising. You also need to. You need I to back it up, right? Well, no, that's not what I was gonna say. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> what I was gonna say is, when with the improvisation. When you come up with things, you need to take care to not just be improvising, you know, extra stuff in response to what the players did in response to their choices, because that can negate agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, so you, you need yeah. to be, I guess you need to be careful about how you do that. Yeah, like, and just to, like, piggyback on that real quick without diving in for another hour, um, it, it, this is one of those moments where it depends, but I've prepared on where it depends. If you have like two druids and a paladin and a warlock in your party, you already have things that are kind of like planned with them, whether it be loot, whether it be like important characters to their backstory, important events, important factions, things of that nature. So like if you're going into an encounter and it's, you know, you have your two druids that are there, and you have, like, a druid of their conclave that's, uh, you know, like, corrupt because of something. Um, you, you, you've you planned that. Um, it's not like, oh, shoot, yeah, yeah, no, the warlock, yeah, it was this guy, it was Johnny, uh, Johnny's uh, evil guy, yeah, he was here. Johnny Johnny uh, summoned all these these skeletons, yeah, that, that was, was, uh, was evil Johnny. You're prepped. And... I feel like this would be something I'd want to get into the weeds with you later at another time. Because I, I feel like we have some things that we do in common and we some things that our personal styles would be completely at odds with. But uh, it, we're already two hours in, so we might want to... That's okay. ...want to cut it off uh, cut it off and move to video game topic, Sean. Um, sure. Yeah, if everybody's like, good. good enough... And I, I, I do. I'd like to move to another beer too. I'm gonna do that as well. So, well, right. uh, I would like Kevin to and I get, get another beer. Uh, Chris, that means you have to entertain everybody by explaining exactly what the hell you're doing in your video game. All right, the floor is yours. Uh, so this is Noida, a pixel sandbox simulator roguelike uh, hell machine. You can think of it as a cross between Spelunky, uh, some of those uh, physics simulation tools on the internet around from like the early 2010s or whatever, uh, and cock and ball torture. We have issues with the game. The game uh, will kill you out of nowhere randomly. It is really fun despite this because it's a game that has secrets piled upon secrets, systems that you can exploit to your benefit, rewards in-depth understanding, um, taking things slowly and carefully, building wands with, say, this assortment of spells you see next to me, uh, and just really investing in the game and learning from your failures of each iteration. Uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm 
stronger than I would be for one of my normal runs. Uh, but I am weaker than, like, your really overpowered ones, because I only have 145 HP. You start with 100. I have seen people who have had runs with 6,000 HP or more, uh, and that's due to just understanding the game better, knowing where to look for things, knowing enemy behaviors, knowing how to dodge things, knowing where the secrets are. Uh, managing to turn uh, various environmental interactions into major advantages. The game this game reminds me a lot of Risk of Rain. Uh, I would. I I never played Risk of Rain, but my understanding was Risk of Rain had like that time. The time limit was like a big deal. Yeah, the timer is like huge, and, and like if you want to advance through it well, and like you know scale up to the game you have to do things like quickly and methodically it's hard yeah. to use the bottle opener on this hat while i'm wearing it <laughs> i would imagine but i got it and i would also imagine that a i'll game... drink to that yeah with the with the session all right i got me an angry orchard well, fairly mm. popular high, hard cider out here was in the front of my fridge, so I went with it. Um, these are pretty good. Same I like here. Angry Orchard pretty well as hard ciders go. Uh, it's not my favorite. Which but, flavor um, there? Uh, crisp apple. apple. Actually, I'm okay. crisp apple, yeah. Um, so Actually, I like this one pretty well. Um, I feel like I've had this one before, but now that I'm having it, I, I feel like I like it better than I did last time. Mm. It might be the other booze. That might be. It's because I'm used to drinking haggis. It's the hag. I'm just like, after drinking haggis and Red Bull, everything is good. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Take some Red Bull. Oh, boy. Guess I'll take Never Skip Leg Day. uh... I am a grown-ass man, and I just fucking love apple juice. (laughs) And this is just hard apple juice. So I'm okay with that. Uh, I really like Woodchuck Hard Cider is my favorite, um, but uh, Angry Orchard is a pretty good go-to. That is a I don't know, Hard Ciders, uh, there, is a, um, there is a local Long Island cider house hmm. that has like 20 ciders on tap at a time. I haven't been there in a while um, for, you know, the way the world is, but... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when I went there, it was, it's the only time I'd have I'd have a, a cider, um, mm. but they were good. They were good ciders, yeah, and all different fruits too. You had blueberry, you had strawberry, all the likes, all yeah. the berries. There's a place out here in Colorado called Wild Cider that uh, makes some pretty good different kinds. Uh, they have a, I think they have a blueberry one. They have a pineapple one that I like pretty well that I get. Every now and then, it's okay. on tap at one of my local breweries. Oh, they skip up like that. Yeah, um, and, and they have a. I feel like they have. I'm trying to think of what else they have. They they have a, a good selection of different ciders, and they're they're really good. We're we're in vineyard country here on the island, so it's mm-hmm. like you know you, we we got the grapes of wrath going on. Nice. All right, so our video game topic this week is customizable characters in games. 
Uh, how much is too much customization? And uh, does the genre influence that answer? Because uh, I feel like there are particular genres where customization of the character is like ridiculous and there are genres of the uh you know where customization is is basically nothing like your average shooter you probably have no customization if any you you, you might have a tiny bit like you pick what weapon upgrades you get first right but then you get into you know Elder Scrolls and you're customizing your look and individual stats and, and all that. And then you get into Fire yeah. Emblem and it's like the newer Fire Emblem games are especially Three Houses is just insane on customization of like you can train particular stats for particular characters to basically shoehorn any character you want into any class that you want. Um, yes. And so there, there's but a lot reason. of... Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, ways that different games go with it. Uh, so, what do you guys think? Is there too much customization in some games? Yes. In terms of statistics and like the way you can build out a character, yes. Mm-hmm. And I do think it also depends on genre. Sorry, I'm going to be like really like loose here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a few examples. I love the concept of, like, your character in the Elder Scrolls Oblivion or any Elder Scrolls game like Skyrim. You design this character and you spend all this time being like, what does Prisoner look like? And then you forget to change the name, so you're Prisoner the entire game. Right. Uh, My buddy buddy did that. And my buddy also, the same friend, uh, designed his character. Sorry, Nick. And um, he uh, built this whole character out and then, like... He played the game for like a week and he's like, I love this game. It's so cool. Like, yeah, Dark Brother did this quest. And I went over for like, you know, the first time seeing him play the game after he bought it. And I was like, your hair is like bright green. Like, do you know that your guy looks like the Joker? And he's like, no, no, it's it's brown. Like, it's brown. I'm like, no, like up this on your TV or play it at my house. Like, your hair is green. And he's like, oh, shoot, like my hair is green. Can I go like get a change? I'm like, no, nah, this game is from 2005. You can't do that. Um, in terms of statistics, if a game does it really well, I think it's great. Um, if it's overwhelming and the systems are like too complicated with it, it, it hurts. Um, I played Final Fantasy X and I got to the skill tree and I was like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I can't stand this. And I stopped playing that game for other reasons. But I love Path of Exile, and I love the way that like a build for an action RPG character can be customized in such an mm-hmm. awesome way, and played to like build. You know, not necessarily so much like what color is my hair and what does my armor look like, and you know, what does all this matter? That yeah. stuff for me, like I don't really care. Um, in some games, I really do care. Like you mentioned, Fire Emblem as a as a game that has a lot of customization, and I think the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I can't choose what Byleth looks like. Um, I'm a little bit shoehorned into like the outfits, right? For, of the, what my for the look, look of them, you you don't get to choose at all. But yeah, that's yeah. one where like the stats of it. Like I saw somebody who did a playthrough where literally they just made everybody wyvern knights, and and you can do that. And that's pretty well. that's a point in its favor. And a point against it, kind of. As a longtime Fire Emblem fan, I yeah, actually that, think it's that like... Yeah, that game was a little different than that. I feel regard. like it's 
unnecessary in how much it adds to the customization. Because, like, in previous Fire Emblem games, I've had very little customization, where it's pretty much like, you get what you get, and then that's it. And in some games, it's like they add an inkling, where it's like, okay, when you get to level 10, you can use a Master Seal, and you can choose between two or three classes that you level up into. Okay, that's kind of cool. And that's kind of where I kind of want Fire Emblem... Customization. I think Treehouse did it kind of that way. It did, but it it without it, getting too far. I don't know. I I feel like uh, Fire. I didn't get that three far houses with it. I feel like three houses pushed it a little too far because yeah. at the end of the day, like what class they start as has basically no bearing on anything because you can literally just shoehorn them into anything that you want to, and I feel like also by the end of the game it feels like busy work to micromanage all of their skills and it's, it's a little bit yeah it's super weird you have, to know, because like, you have the option of like auto level up and then you don't have to worry about it but as yeah but they don't pick the of, right things yeah as the type of gamer i am i'm like i feel like if i auto level up, i'm like like you're not doing it right. Keeping myself away from the maximum potential, right? Something like that. And it's yeah. like I feel obligated because I have the option of micromanaging that I have to micromanage it, if that makes sense. And it's yes. it's like it's not a bad system, but I feel like what Fire Emblem is to me, I feel like is all about the story and the characters and their individual interactions with each other. And the yeah. amount of customization and micromanagement just kind of detracts from that. It it distracts you from mm. the reason I am into Fire Emblem. I, so, this is interesting, and I don't want this to turn into like a four-hour Fire Emblem debate, but I, or maybe you do. If you do, I'm down mm. for it. Um, I've played Fire Emblem since Fire Emblem Awakening. Okay. So I'm relatively new mm-hmm. in terms of the series. Um, but I think a lot of players started with Awakening, and, and I'm one of those. Yeah. Coming from Awakening and going to Three Houses, I think Three Houses does a lot of things that I wish I could have done in Awakening, and I love it for that. Um, there's some things with Awakening, too, that I wish could have been done a bit more in, in Three Houses. Mm. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed the gameplay loop. Yeah. Of um, what happened there? Explosions. Chris died. Everybody. Uh, I uh, I got so okay. If I remember correctly, that enemy summons a cloud. That cloud sits around for a few seconds before blasting out a lightning Boom. bolt. <laughs> so uh, I got struck by a lightning bolt and uh, was momentarily confused. I bolted for three. Yeah. So I'm more like bolted for three hundred. I guess I'm Fire coming Emblem. from a little bit of a different Fire Emblem background because uh, I played Awakening. I loved Awakening, but I started in uh, the Game Boy Advance Fire Emblems because that was the first time that Americans yeah. were really given access to them. Because yeah, actually, after, my like, first melee. Ex- yeah, my first exposure, I was going to say, was Super and Smash Bros. Melee. And I was like, oh, Marth and Roy, they're super cool, fun to play with. And I was interested yes. immediately in what they came from, but it was Japan only. And so when yeah. the first uh, Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem came out, I like ate it up. Which is super hilarious because before that point, I really hated tactical 
anything. Like, if it's got tactics at all, I'm just like, not even going to play it. Don't care. Don't but care. I was like, need, like, whatever. Roy action. and Marth were cool enough that I'll give it a chance. And actually, it ended up being like, first of all, my favorite tactical game series of all time. And second of all, like, kind of like showed me that even though it's not a genre I'm generally like into, there can be exceptions. And I thought that was really cool of it. Uh, so I, I got into it at that point. And in the Game Boy Advance Fire Emblems, everything was just a lot more simple. Like I said, there was basically no customization at all. Uh, no, nah, like, you're, you're pretty you got your built class on the path and you can character. choose when to use your master seal. And that's basically the only customization you have, if you can even get yeah, customization. Because it, it made it a little extra hard. It was like Pokemon when you didn't uh, know when to evolve them. Right, yeah. And as a kid, you're like, I just want to cast, I just want to cast, I just want to use Earthquake on everybody. But like, ooh, I'm going to level my Nido King to level 54. That way, when I evolve him from that, then he's going to know Earthquake and Megahorn. And it's mm -hmm. like, what 10-year-old kid's going to care about that, you know? Yeah. And I've been a 10-year-old kid for the past 20 years. Mm. Yeah, so I kind of, like, watched um, Fire Emblem add more customization here and there because, like, uh, I think... It makes it easier for us 10-year-olds. Yeah, because I think in uh, Path of Radiance was the first one where when you leveled up and used That's a Master Seal... Wii or GameCube? It's a GameCube one. There was a Wii okay. sequel called Radiant Dawn. Yes, um, I played the GameCube one. Yeah. I I I lost Soren very quickly. I lost Soren very quickly my first time too. I'm I'm playing through again because I found my old copy and I was like, all right. I, I can't uh, play it. Anymore. Oh yes, that's a, it's that game is like a hundred something bucks now, right? Uh, actually, I was looking it up when I found because actually I oddly enough I started looking up all my GameCube games because I was looking around and I couldn't find my copy of Ocarina of Time Master Quest for GameCube. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have oh maybe here. I'll just buy another one. Because I remember when I bought mine, it was like 20 bucks. It was like nothing. Yeah, not and anymore. I looked it up and it's like 150 for Master Quest or something. And I was like, yeah. I wonder if any of my other old GameCube games are like expensive. And I, I looked them up and um, my, uh, yeah, Fire Emblem... Path of Radiance is actually the most expensive game in my video game collection. Uh, it lists around uh, $300. There you I think go. I still have a copy of Path of Radiance sitting around here somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely find that if you can. Because uh, even if you're not going to play it, like uh, you can turn a decent profit off of that. Um, but yeah, I was super excited. And I, I just I have tried a fat stack again. of Zelda right here. Yeah. There you go. I got Link's it. crossbow training. There you go. Oh, you got the full case version of that. I only got the. It's it's there is, uh, it, it's it's printed on just over another Wii game. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, I guess that I, makes I think sense. they I only like, gave I you this in yeah. like yeah this like dinky little case like a jewel case. Yeah, mine's mine's like that. So that's what I was like. I was like, oh, I didn't know they made a full case for that. That's nah, cool. they, they just did a jewel case. Yeah. Because uh, that's two how I got mine. Twilight the... Princess copies. Nice. <laughs> I bought one for the ZD Marathon, and then I thought someone stole it, and I found it in my parents' house years later. <laughs> nice. I don't know what this thing does nowadays. 
collector's uh, edition. I'm not sure how much that I, I looked that up. I feel like it was a decent price too, because that's my go-to copy Probably. of Ocarina of Time. Uh, it's a terrible copy of Majora's Mask. I'll tell you that. Is it? Yeah, it's the hmm. it's buggy. Huh. I had a I had a crash on me in Mississippi. Because I never played the N64 version, so I guess I didn't know what the <laughs> know what I was missing. I never I really I never really ran into any major issues though uh, on the GameCube. I did later on Stone mm-hmm. Tower. It kind of messes you up. Okay, Stone Tower is kind of where I stopped. That's uh, one of these unfortunate things on my list of uh, Zelda games I've never beat. Is literally actually just Majora's Mask and uh, there's Zelda Two. Zelda Two, yeah. Is that? Oh yeah, I just played Zelda Two recently. This is Dynasty Warriors Two. Dynasty Warriors Two. Okay. I was just showing off. Look at that. Look at that back. That uh, PS One yeah. game. Remember the PS One game? That games? right there. <laughs> nice and blue. Yeah. This game is beat to something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, I think it was the first Fire Emblem game where when you used a Master Seal, you could pick one of two classes. Like, if you're a Cavalier, you can uh, upgrade into yeah, a, paladin, be like a Paladin, or you can create go into Great Knight, so you get, like, like extra defense or stuff. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and I think, I think that was it. It might have been Radiant Dawn that added that, something like that. Yeah, that's a um, big was, deal too. Yeah, it was like, one of those, and know. it's like adding just a little bit of customization. And so, coming from where I was with no customization and just like kind of dealing with what you get with stat upgrades and all that, it's like now I feel like uh, three houses is a little overwhelming, and it's just like I kind of just want to go back to the old days where you could just you know do the tactics and fight the bad guys. And get the badass, you know, character progression and and all that that's going on. Because really, what I really keeps drawing me back to Fire Emblem is the support system, and you know, finding all these little details between this character and that character after you get their support yeah, ship, up all the way all and that kind of thing. And it's it's really a character based game for me, even more than it is a tactics based game for me. Because, like I said, I'm not a big fan of tactics games, and I like the tactical gameplay in Fire Emblem. Okay, uh, but what I'm really there for is the characters and and their growth with each other along the journey. And so I feel like from where I've come from, Three Houses feels like it's adding too much fluff for the sake of customization. I can see that. I, um, personally, I, I like the, um, being like you're the professor to these students mm-hmm. and uh, being able to kind of like guide things certain ways. Yeah. It took me a little bit to figure that out mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. Okay. Um, I think if it were a bit simpler and I was like, you like to fly, I'm going to build you towards a flyer. Oh, you like spears. I will build you towards a flyer with spears. You are a falcon knight. Like, you know, congrats. You, you enjoy that. Uh-huh. Um, I also like the ability to be like, hmm, maybe you have some magical skills. Like, we can build you towards that. That would be great, too. 
only until you really like and i did this i dived onto this dirty place called the internet where you could like figure out a little bit more about like build growth and like optimal things and i was like why does um dang i forget what his name is he is like the i think his name is like cyrus or something he is like aquamarine blue hair he's part of the uh black eagles and like i just pretty much googled like why does this guy suck with this Uh and like the stats for him were like he was he just kind of sucked and you have like you have those fire emblem characters that just sort of like are not the best and i was like putting a lot of stuff into this guy and he just sort of stunk Mm -hmm. and it's like if you know if i weren't building towards his faith i might have just built him towards this and I would have been happier with him as, like, you know, a character. Instead, I just opted to have someone else be on my team, and I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I like it to a limit. Yeah. Um, if, if I have to Google a bunch of stuff and look at, like, you know, optimal ways to, like, play a game normally, then I'm like, eh, not so much. Right. Um, but you know, if, if I can have like a hand in doing like what my team or my character is doing, I, I enjoy it to a limit. Mm. Um, I think of, uh, character customization and one of my, my thoughts goes towards champions online, mm. uh, a nice old MMO where you played a superhero character with super abilities. I played as terrible man. A character that I customized the bejesus out of, uh-huh. who was a character that had um, a lightning emblem crest with super speed and fire powers. Why did he have a lightning across him? I don't know. He was terrible, man. He was terrible. <laughs> we played like did some like role play, um, like MMO superhero characters, and it was a good time. But um, in terms of, like, playing a character, I, I think that was more along the lines of, like, customizing the looks and appearance of your character. I think I value that a bit more sometimes. Which is funny, because that's actually based off of the hero system, the champion's MMO. Huh. And you would think that the character customization on that would be top-notch. Yeah, because uh, hero system... I mean, is, you can do whatever you want. Tabletop yeah, system cool. is actually... We've talked about it before. It's one of the most customizable systems, like almost to a fault, because uh, that's that's one of those things that I, I thought might come up in our table topic is like uh, when you're one of the biggest complaints that our group had for that was when you're creating uh, like the game as a GM. If you spend time to literally create every character, you will like just spend hours and hours customizing it because it's, it's such a complex, intricate system and to its benefit, it can create literally anything that we've ever tried to create, but to its detriment, it takes a long time to create even simple things. So, yeah. Well, I made terrible man, and he was he was terrible, <laughs> but he was great. Nice. Yeah, Ben. Uh, 
doing the aesthetics, I think, is almost a different kind of a customization, but it, it definitely does kind of relate here, and it is part of what I was trying to bring up when I uh, picked this topic. Um, especially, like, you were talking about uh, somebody that, uh, like, went way in-depth into his character creation in Skyrim, and I think that's so weird because, like... Uh, first person game it's a first person game you never see yourself yeah right but you know what i and, did the and same even, dang thing even like like if you are playing in third person you're wearing armor and a helmet most of the time yeah right you're not but i always picked imperial like, and i always did this and i'm a north my guy looked this way the only time i did a character that wasn't a nord with a two-handed sword was on the Switch version, where I could get the Master Sword. So I'm like, all right, I'm not a Nord Sword. I'm a Nord Sword and Board. It's the Nord Sword and Board. It works. Hylian Shield. Yeah. I played it was awesome. Imperial. I just scanned like, Amiibos until I... I got it. I was just like, all right. <laughs> I have enough Amiibos. I can sit here. I just scanned in, scanned in, scanned in. And it was funny because I literally did it in the very first room that I was in when you... Uh, can take control of yourself in Skyrim, and I got myself stuck oh, yeah. because I spawned so many treasure chests in there, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> so I had that to save funny. and quit so that the treasure chests would despawn. I had this happen to me in Skyrim where I spawned, and the um, the game just would like play through the cutscene of you like, oh, you're the prisoner, oh, we're the Nords, we're gonna kill you. And, um, Alduin doesn't show up, or no dragons show up at the beginning, so it's like, they're ready to execute you, and the whole day-night cycle just keeps going and going and going. So, <laughs> I don't know what happened with my game, it was glitched out on my PC, people told me, uninstall mods, and I was like, I don't have any mods installed. Mm-hmm. I ended up installing one to start me somewhere else. That way I could actually play the game. But I go through the whole character customization. I'd sit through the, um, you know, the, the cart ride to death. Mm-hmm. Only to realize it was the cart ride to purgatory. And um, I got a little, like, I don't know, apathetic towards designing my character for the game because I knew it didn't mean anything because I would end up just sitting and standing there and waiting to die. I remember putting the game on, going to a friend's house, hanging out there for like, you know, five or six hours and then like coming home at the end of the night. And like, I came back and I'm like, I'm still not ready to die because this game is just frozen. (laughs) It was terrible. And, um, I just, I don't know. I downloaded that mod and and I was just ready to like start the game up in another place. I could finally do my my character customization. I've yet to reinstall Skyrim on this PC because I knew that it would like not want to work here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Good times. Apparently, you should have played it on Xbox 360. I did. Oh, I yeah. beat it on there okay. too. Yeah, I played through the whole dang game. <laughs> So it's just I've, I've played, I have I have hundreds of hours in that game. Yeah. I don't know. Same I think with, I gave um, it like Oblivion. one playthrough. Um, so another thing that I think is kind of related to this that we can kind of bring back to 
uh, Skyrim, one of the things I think it did pretty well is skill trees. Because it's like, you can kind of look through, there's a bunch of skill trees, but what I liked about Skyrim is you pretty much had to, like, look at the skill trees for the handful of skills that you really liked, and you could just ignore the other ones. It didn't matter. It's just like, okay, so that that I thought was a point in its favor, whereas other games with skill trees are just really overwhelming and, like, pointlessly overwhelming. Um, yeah. Because you were talking about uh, Final Fantasy X, was it? With a skill tree? Yeah, and I didn't, I, I play didn't that get much one, But I played Final tree. Fantasy XV uh, last year because it was on Game Pass for a while. Uh, I think it's. I think Final Fantasy XV is still on Game Pass. I'm not sure. Um, oh, God. But, oh, boy, it's, it's Magma Worm. Yeah, careful there. If Chris dies, we have to drink. But, um, yeah, it was... Uh, what happens if the worm dies? I might get a health up from him. Cool. Do we have to drink? Sure. Celebratory drink if if Chris kills the worm. But uh, it's a depressed drink if Chris dies to the worm. Hey, worm. He's dead. All right. No health up, though. Hooray. Um, but yeah, one of the things that turned me off of Final Fantasy fifteen was that, uh, like, first of all, you have a skill tree, like a few separate skill trees for all of your characters. You start with a party of four characters and you get like one point in like before I could even decide where to spend the point, I had to look through the skill trees of all four characters to figure out like where I wanted to put it. And it was just like, I also feel like it really had a, like possibly the shittiest introduction ever to those four characters because it's like it gives you kind of the general story of Noctis who's kind of the main character of Final Fantasy 15 and then the other three guys are just like his frat brothers or something it's just like why are these guys here right it's like I feel like you're expected to know why they're there even though you have no possible way of knowing why they're there the story just kind of pretends you already know who they are. And I'm like, this is so (laughs) I, Oh boy. I could go deep into another square Enix game. The last remnant. Hmm. Have either of you played that game before? That sounds familiar. I'm trying to think of as it was, it was like a non final fantasy, final fantasy game Hmm. that like square Enix made to kind of like dive into the West. Okay. And it just does a lot of things, like, very wrong. I feel and, like I saw, um, like, that game on game store shelves all the time and thought about it. But I, I bought I it like on 360. It. it was weird, and I didn't like it, and I wrote a really bad review on it in, like, 2010. Mm-hmm. And then I bought it on PC again and played it there. Um, what makes the customization of that, like, even worse... And I'm not going to dive into this too far, but just enough to talk about customization. Mm-hmm. What happens with your characters is as you use the certain abilities and moves that you learn throughout the game, the more inclined your character becomes to use those. So if you're using hex spells versus magic spells versus physical um, your character will start to use those more often in combat. Mm-hmm. What happens is 
you end up with your character being able to learn like a smorgasbord of like 15 different items with certain equip items showing up at like random points of the game where like if your character opts to not use a certain item your main character then like another party character might want to equip that item or they might not and doesn't there's no rhyme or reason unless you like google it or like go on the wiki or like you can miss out on quests for your character customization because you didn't unlock another character that would give you a remnant that would like get towards like you using like an axe instead of a sword that gave you an ability to do this it's it's, it's overly complicated um and frustrating it's the worst way to do a video game terrible mm-hmm. but um if you used those skills more they popped up more often in combat which sounds like a pretty sweet deal of course i want to use hexes they were pretty great i'd like to use those more let me use hexes and then you go in combat and you're like oh hex shows up as an as an ability and then you realize that like leveling that up through fighting with characters wasn't really as good as just using spells mm-hmm. and you wish you could go back to using spells but you can't uh-huh. because you're so inclined towards using hexes and the game is like well i mean you wanted to use them so like here you go um there's ways to fix some of those things in the pc version but there's like detriments to like leveling leveling your character up it's weird it, mm-hmm. it's odd um, don't don't play the last remnant. That's kind of where I'm going. All right. Now I know. Knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. <laughs> Knowing half the battle. Uh, Chris so knows half the battle. I also have opinions on this. Do you? Yeah. And speak and up. And I'm going to present them with a visual aid here. Ooh. Uh, so I feel like the kind of customization you are seeing in front of you here, these three perks I can choose from, uh, is more blood. Kind of, yeah, there's more blood. There's projectile. Uh, three randomly chosen perks that the game happened to throw at me. I feel like this is how you should approach customization in a game like a roguelike. Hmm. Because with the permanent death, it gives you few enough choices to avoid choice paralysis, but it gives you choices and there's meaningful differences between all of these. Like, this will give me more blood, which can be both good and bad. I can, like, flood the area with blood. Uh, this isn't terribly useful, and this can kill a lot of enemies, but can also trap me and kill me pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like these kind of customization choices where you're only choosing between a few things at any given time is a good way to cut down on cognitive load. Yeah. So somewhat like, imagine if each of these gave you a tree to go towards. There's no tree. It'd be overwhelming. Yeah, I know. It'd be, it'd be nuts. So what were you going to say, Sean? It's somewhat like Crypt of the Necrodancer, where like, you go to the store and you have so many gold from however much you've gathered since last time you died and you can get like a better torch or a good weapon but it'll break or a third item of some it's like the store always has three totally different items and they're totally different kinds of uses uh something like that 
Because you played Crypton, Crypton in Equity. Yes. Uh, yeah, I I like that as a customization strategy, at least for mechanical customization. Yeah. I kind of get um, that in for, uh, that kind of procedurally generated thing. Um, I yeah, do kind of like the way that uh, Cadence of Hyrule kind of took it. Because... Um, the original Crypt of the Necrodancer kind of had, like, it had that, which was cool for what it was. But at the same time, it's like, every now and then, you're just like, I wish I got better permanent upgrades. I think Crypt, because uh, that's that's kind of a problem, I guess, maybe with just roguelikes in general. I don't play, I haven't played, like, hardly any roguelikes, so it's I'm kind of coming from a narrow field of vision here, but in Crypt of the Necrodancer, I felt like all of the upgrades you get are so limited that it's like by the next time you die, which will inevitably happen because it's a roguelike, you know, it's gone. So it, it at yeah, that point, it, it kind of to that game. yeah, it, it at that point it kind of like uh, unlegitimizes the customization. I feel like it's like why even bother almost. At, at a certain point, depending on like, like if you come into the store and you have a buttload of gold and you can buy anything you want, but you only got one like HP left and you're probably going to die no matter what you buy. It's like, who even cares? Uh, so I feel like that's a little bit of a double edged sword there. Uh, and I feel like uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer could have benefited from more permanent upgrades or maybe a, just a little easier like if they put a little more gems in which cadence of hyrule did and so that's part of why i like cadence of hyrule better uh is that you just got a little more gems throughout the levels so you could get the permanent upgrades easier because they made uh, that temporary game upgrades i think too. yeah yeah i think so uh partially maybe just because it's you know Working Zelda with fans Zelda want to play it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, like, speaking from a player's perspective that it's done, um, like, I've played Risk of Rain since uh, before it was released, early access, into, like, Risk of Rain 2, but less, less so. Um, roguelike games have taken, like, an interesting... Um, division... Where, like, you have the games that are, like, your pure roguelikes that, like, you die and you die. You're the hardcore, uh, hardcore, hard, uh, hardcore players. You die, you lose all your stuff, you, you know, you finish, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's some other games that, like, like Risk of Rain and Risk of Rain 2. Uh, really, actually, Risk of Rain 2 does this. Where you have currency or items or things that could carry over into another game. So... You have certain like tokens that you unlock throughout Risk of Rain 2 that you could use to cash in on further playthroughs. Um, that could give you like more risk or reward kind of uh, items. Hmm. Where it's like you lose all of your health, but you have a shield now. And the shield is a lot better than what your health would have been. Um, hmm. Things like things of that nature. Um, and that, that helps further the. Because they, they balance it around like, you know, the rest of the mechanics of the game. That, I think, helps further, like, you know, your investment as a player to be like, all right, well, you know, I, I died on my run, but I made it to round 10, so I got these coins, so I can use that in my next run. Okay, cool. Um, some games do that really well. Other games do it well to the point where it's like, you die, and you just, you know, you, you've, you've died. 
and you need to like reacquire those items and like the struggle of getting that is balanced among the game. Um, there's a there's an ebb and flow to it. Um, I think some of these games are a bit more built towards specific folks that like enjoy this kind of game. Um, I think it leads towards a game where there's a lot of challenge and there's a lot of variety and that adds to replayability where it's like, um, you know, the level may be the same layout, but the items you get are completely different and that, that may lead to a really fun experience where it's like, hey, this kind of thing happened each time. Like, you know, where, like, the boss happened, but, you know, I triggered it from different ways. Sort of like a magic game in a way, where it's like you play with the same deck, but the layout of the game and the way that you interact with your opponent, which is the game in this perspective, is completely different each time. And and those are the, the moments that keep me as a gamer coming back. So it's going to tie back to magic. So I, well, the other thing I was going to say about this is that this system of customization, the, the random selection, the random choice of selection is entirely appropriate for roguelikes and it's not entirely appropriate for other genres of games. That's mm -hmm. And I do like building a character in more CRPG-type games. Uh, but I don't like it when I have to weigh 300 different options that may or may not work out for my build. Or, and some of them might just be strictly worse than other options. They might just be, like, trap options, which is mm -hmm. a problem in 3.5 as well. And some some of these tabletop games we love so Not much. Not if you're playing for flavor. <laughs> no, it's it's a problem even then. Yeah. There's no uh. Because there's no There's no correction mechanism. And uh. That's when you bribe your GM with um, different beers in the local area then they correct your stats for your character or items find their way into your inventory but no you're you're correct in, in saying that yeah, it's a uh... I trade you a deck of many things for a Guinness yeah <laughs> alright I, I would not take that trade that is a bunch of trade <laughs> Yeah. All right. Is there any uh, final thoughts we have on this uh, table t or video game topic? As, as I misspoke, we have to drink again. But uh, any any last thoughts here uh, before we end the podcast for tonight? Uh, go out and, and give uh, Risk of Rain a try if you if you've enjoyed our roguelike discussion, and give this game a try too. Yeah. I knew I was going to die. I just didn't know when. I should go back to Crypt of the Necrodancer now that I'm thinking about it. That game was awesome. And I, 
I don't know. As soon as I got Cadence of Hyrule, I was just like, I, I completely uh, forgot it existed, I, I guess. I, I have one final thought, thought on customization. I, I, I don't, I feel like I've spoken up very little during this, but it's uh, any game that lets you customize your character's appearance, the more, the more cut appearance customization you can do, the better. I think I like that. Even and in a game where uh, you don't see yourself like Skyrim? Even in a game where you don't see yourself like Skyrim, like if I can play like, like a bald dude with a unibrow, uh, it gives me joy just to know that that's what he looks like when he talks to people, and that's what those other NPCs are seeing. <laughs> nice. That's and that's one thing I kind of thought about that, like... I, that we didn't really bring up was like uh, the ridiculously specific. Uh, appearance appearance customization uh like particularly in some of the xbox 360 generation wrestling games uh oh like my the, gosh i used to make the freakiest things to play online yeah in the in the like in that generation of like the wwf games and stuff like that it was just like it was absurd how much you could do. You could like have yeah. any number of items. You could you could customize like the individual X, Y, and Z axis of every single everything. Part of their body, you have like, one eyebrow that was all the way up, and their their forearm and both of their legs. And it's like each individual thing you could customize yeah. exactly. And it was like it was cool because you could do that, but at the same time. Sometimes it was just tedious to just make a guy. Yeah, I, I have a few buddies that would make, like, every, like, potential wrestler that wasn't in the game. Like, you know, Dude Love wasn't in the game, but they'd make, like, Dude Love mm-hmm. out of, like, all the things available to them. And it's like, yeah, that looks like him. Like, you know, it looks like Mick Foley. And then they'd have like him, and they'd clone him, and then like dress him up as McFoley and change him a bit. It's mm-hmm. nuts. nuts, absolutely nuts. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, as somebody who's played Cyberpunk, uh, how how do you feel about uh, customization of the genitals? Is is that something that we really it's, need? It's not. I've 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 said this in an earlier podcast, and I've complained about this often. It's it's not detailed. There's not enough genital customization. The genital customization was oversold. Right. So if, if you could customize the individual X, Y, and Z axis of both of your breasts and your penis, would would that be better? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I would take, if, if you were given more options for what to do, like, I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, so I'll, I'll it's going to make a Rick and Morty episode I've watched. <laughs> I'll, I'll complain about this more uh, at the end of the podcast because it's more appropriate for the end of the podcast. I'm saying uh, I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, and what was it? One last thing. I also liked how Divinity Original Sin 2 had like personality tags you could have on your character that would give you additional dialogue options. Just nice little things like that. Because that's also a part of character oh. customization. Mm-hmm. I could I could bury everyone in like three hours of why I did not really enjoy Divinity, but I'm going to save that. We'll talk about this another time. I like the I like the lore of it, but mm-hmm. um, 
the rest. No thanks. Hmm. That's uh, a game I never played. Have to get around to that eventually, or apparently, maybe not. It's maybe a, not. I don't know. I, I might just be a curmudgeon. It's mm-hmm. a good co-op CRPG. Okay. I, uh, I do like the turn-based combat. That is don't play the first one. Mm-hmm. First one's all. I played a little bit of the first one. I was mostly talking about the second, uh, Divinity Two. Yeah, second is a bit more better. Some quirks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, I think we are wrapping up our video game topic so we can do our shameless plugs and move uh, to our final uh, segment of the podcast, which is where we talk about inane bullshit until somebody says something really awkward and we cut off the podcast. So, as always, I am your host, Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, a.k.a. Spamoman. You can find me on uh, twoguysplayingzelda.com as well as tgpzgaming.com. I have out recently the... uh, Two Guys Playing Zelda Awards on TwoGuysPlayingZelda.com is our Game of the Year award kind of uh, discussion that a lot of the other TGPZ writers helped me, uh, you know, we all voted together as well as some of the fans in the TGPZ Discord, so that's that's always a fun place, fun conversation there, Um, and various things, and uh, I also on TGPZGaming.com recently put out a uh, article all about Hellblade, which I streamed a couple of weeks ago, um, which is uh, really just uh, what I think is one of the most important stepping stones that gaming has taken recently. So uh, check out that if you are interested over there. Uh, and we, of course, have our special guest, uh, Mr. Shabazzle himself. Yeah, that's me. Uh, Kevin O'Rourke, but he's here. <laughs> yeah, he is here. He was the gift that was promised. Um, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Shabazzle, and uh, I have an Instagram account. I don't really know what it's called. It's like Shabazzle something. Shabazzle sixteen. That probably sounds right. Um, <laughs> I stream Shabazzles like, and see which one has a picture of him. Yeah, yeah. I, there was someone who, like, tagged me on Twitter, at Shabazzle, and they were like, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with Shabazzle, and I'm like, I have no idea who you are, and they were like, oh, I tagged you on Instagram, and I'm like, I don't have Instagram, and then I made an account, um, <laughs> and it was some girl, I don't know, it was some person I didn't know, hmm. but anyways, I, um, what do I do? I have a Twitch page. I stream there every so often. I'd like to do that more. Twitch.tv slash Shabazzle. Um, there's two Zs in Shabazzle in case you were counting. It's fun. Uh, streaming is fun. We just did the... Um, we played Among Us for like the community game night week on our Discord. And um, I've played uh, Faces of Evil Remastered, the remastered like ROM game that came out for the CDI Faces of Evil with Ashley Skip, who's been on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been fun. We'll probably do one of Gamelon sometime soon. I don't know when. I don't know how. Remastered we'll just uh, available publicly for PC? Yeah, it's a free download. It's probably been shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can find it on the internet, like it fixes a lot of the control issues. Okay, that's that's the, always uh, been one I've been interested in, but 
buying a CDI and a copy of that game is more expensive yeah. than my curiosity is willing to go. I'm like, I, I will say like having played it, I've played it on the CDI like multiple times at the ZD marathon and like playing it like on those controls and on the hardware, like this remastered version does a lot of like little things to like little quality of life changes that make it a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. If you die, you get like enough continues to just kind of like keep playing um, the speed of the game is a lot quicker. The frame rate's a lot nicer and smoother. Link moves faster, and like just things are a lot better. Okay. Um, it, it's it's just nice. It's just real nice. Yeah, I feel like any version of that game would be worth checking out just for curiosity's sake. I've I've always wanted to like check those out, but uh, you know, just as the Zelda fan, I'm just like. Even the bad ones I want to play, right? Yeah, it, the remastered almost makes it, like, not that bad. It, it's more of a meme than it is, like, an atrocity, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to tell, too, because I've, I've heard so many varying things that, like, uh, you know, among people that have actually played them that, like, apparently, considering their CDI games, they're not that bad, because apparently all the rest of the games for CDI were... Even worse shit. Is yeah, they're hot hearing, garbage. And I'm just like, they're yeah. they're like they're I they're just like difficult on like the original hardware. But if you play them and you like adjusted the crap factor of like the game, then like that's it's a it's a fun romp. Like it, <laughs> it's it's the equivalent of like an okay to bad Super Nintendo game. Mm -hmm the best way I could describe it. Yeah. Two hours of fun. And of course, we are always joined by my glorious co-host uh, because we're still in the uh, plugging our shit section, but we, we got distracted for a minute. But It's more fun that way. I'm good uh, for that. Here's my glorious co-host, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, <laughs> Apes Together Strong Audet. Uh, normally I would plug some shit, but... Uh, Right now, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really feeling it. This uh, GameStop thing is definitely one of the greatest things I have seen, uh, probably in the past twelve months, uh, and I'm 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 enjoying watching it. Nice. All right. In that case, that moves us on to our final segment of the podcast, where we talk about inane bullshit until we uh, say something ridiculously awkward, and I cut off the podcast. Uh, so, general customization. I could have cut it off right there, and it might have been hilarious, but uh, I, I feel like we can get it's more relevant. than that. Well, um, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm just like, if they say you're going to customize your genitals, why, why just stop at one selection of non-vagina or cut or uncut dick? Huh? Why, why can't you give yourself multiple dicks? Why can't you have one dick and one vagina? Why can't you customize the parameters on that dick so you can have like a little chode thing flopping around there? Why can't you have... You're going to get the XYZ axis on each individual testicle? Yeah, yeah. Why can't I have one super big testicle? Why, why can't I cosplay as... Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Uh, that one medieval king who died young. 
who had one single testicle the size of uh, uh the size of like an acorn that was black as coal. Lance Armstrong the third. Yeah, I'm, I am almost certain that was not his name. I, uh, <laughs> I bought Killer Instinct at GameStop, and it was a really good deal, and it's in a black cartridge. If Ooh. this is truly cyberpunk, why can't I cosplay? I thought that might it. Uh, yeah, it's cyberpunk. Like, why can't you have like a mechanical dick? Yeah, well, why can't I get cyberware on my dick? Why can't I get the government? Why, why can't I have a dick? dick? You might get malware. Why can't I install the wrong kind of Trojan virus? Can't I install a taser on my dick to disable people with when they think I'm unarmed? I I really want a a game now that you that you have that where you can just like, oh yeah, I'm unarmed and and just like go with them and and like go along like they're they're taking you into custody or something and just, just like, blam! Just, I shot just you with my penis. Golden, golden cutting him. Yeah. It's, uh, I want to call it the money shot. Because it costs a lot of money forever around you fire. Kind of like how in Zelda 1 you took a rupee every time you used the bow. Is that is that what you call a money shot? Because yeah. you're literally shooting money at people. Is that just what shoot fires out of Link's dick? 